Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Well, it'd be to sneak into the wild card, really. I mean, I think that's that's the most realistic. I mean, obviously, you don't want to say you're not trying to chase someone right now, but if you're looking at the you know best case and most realistic, it would be to you know get at least a, a one game playoff and see where you go. Um, but you know, I, I think if you had Jack Flaherty starting that game, you'd feel pretty good about your chances. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario with Alex out today. He's on baby duty. I'm Brandon Kylie. We will be taking you the next three hours here on 101 ESPN. That was John Mosellock yesterday talking to Carriker and Smallman about what the best case scenario is for the Cardinals for the remainder of this season. So here's my question to you, Tanner. What do you want to see moving forward? Because winning I, baseball. Okay. Well, never mind. Let's delete that. All right. Next segment. Um, I feel like for the last month and a half, we've been talking about just get to July 31st. Just get to July 31st. Find a way. Get to the trade deadline. Give yourself a chance. Well, we are now here. We're into the month of August, and the Cardinals have a revamped rotation. Whether you think it was the right move or not, the Cardinals are moving forward as planned with John Lester, Jay Happ, Wade LeBlanc, KK, and Wayno. That's what it's going to look like for at least the next two weeks until they get Miles Michaelis and Jack Flaherty back. So you start out with Atlanta, you get KC, you get Pittsburgh, you can't get Kansas City again. The schedule has officially opened up, and now is the opportunity for this team to go on a run down the stretch. How likely is it? I would say rather unlikely, but John Mosellock said it correctly. If this team is able to get things back on track, and if you're able to get Michaelis and Jack Flaherty back healthy, they have every opportunity in front of them, and it starts tonight against a team like Atlanta, who's basically been the mirror image of the Cardinals this year. Never once have they been above 500. They've had some pitching issues so far this year. You look at their lineup, and it hasn't performed the way that they've expected it to. They had a injury that crushed them in Ronald Acuna Jr. This is your peer program. And if you're able to take two of three against them, it's going to make me feel a lot better about going on a little bit of a run down the stretch, but it has to start now. It's no longer about progressing forward. Now it is, it's starting to get late early and the Cardinals have to take advantage of what this schedule is ahead of them. Yeah, they got to take advantage of it. To me, they're going to have to play about 650 to 700 ball this month because this schedule, and that's a tough ask. That means one in seven of 10, but it's the schedule favors you, as you mentioned, because 
Atlanta, they're kind of like you. They've been kind of floating around that 500 mark, but they added at the trade deadline. But then once you get past them, you get teams that sold off in Kansas City, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Detroit sold a couple pieces. So the Cardinals are going to have to take advantage of this stretch. And I'm curious to see how John Lester and, and Jay Happ look in their first two starts. We'll see if this, you talked about it yesterday. These guys have high ERAs above five, both of them. Happ is almost at like a seven ERA. Are they going to benefit from playing in this ballpark? And are they going to benefit from playing with this defense behind them? It's going to be interesting to see. And I think we're going to get a good idea of it tonight with John Lester. And I'm curious to see what the Cardinals decide to do defensively. Are they going to put their best defensive lineup out there? And in my opinion, that means Amundo Sosa is your defensive shortstop. It'd be interesting to see what they do there. So earlier today, Mike Claiborne was on with Carriker and Smallman, and he was asked about why he feels good or why he believes that the Cardinals should feel good about their schedule and what their makeup is down the stretch. There's an off day once a week for the rest of the month of August. All right. So your bullpen shouldn't get chewed up too much. You know, it's not like they're going to be in the middle of a 17 game road trip or or 17 games in a row. Any of that they have a chance to really monitor guys and their rest. So, you know, if they can go through the order twice, maybe three times, you know, without getting killed, I, I think it gives them a chance. I think that one thing we've been missing here is what this new rotation means and what the schedule means for the bullpen. The bullpen has not been good of late. You've got the big three who you still trust with Cabrera and Reyes in Gallegos. But in the last month, the Cardinals bullpen in the National League ranks ninth in ERA. They are 13th in strikeout percentage and 13th in walk rate. Basically, they've been bottom five-ish in almost every statistical category in the National League over the last month. That's not good enough. If the Cardinals with this offense are going to compete for whether it be the division title or a wild card spot, they're going to need the bullpen to perform much better than those numbers suggest. And the way that they can do that is by setting themselves up to put the better pitchers into the game more frequently. So that's going to mean more of the big three, similar to what you saw over the weekend. I thought it was very interesting that Mike Schiltz on Friday went with Reyes and Gallegos. And then again on Sunday went with Reyes and Reyes and Gallegos. Both of those were non-save situations. I asked about a non-save situation. I think it was about two weeks ago now, and they didn't want to do it. And that's fine. I, I, I get it. But when you get into these spots now moving forward with the off days that they have in their schedule and with their current uh, rotation where they feel more confident that these guys can give them a consistent five innings, you should feel like you can deploy that bullpen a little bit more aggressively. And I think that's going to work to their favor because the underbelly of this bullpen, they didn't change it at all at the trade deadline. I was hopeful that they would, but they didn't make any moves to be able to improve them there. And they're not getting reinforcements like they had hoped come September and Jordan Hicks. Sounds like he's not going to pitch again this year. Maybe Dakota Hudson. Maybe Maybe Dakota Hudson. And that would be a huge add to that bullpen. Good sinker baller that can get you some double plays. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he does it. I believe Mike Shilton knows, and you mentioned it with him pitching Reyes and Gallegos in two non-safe situations. He knows that those games are critical, and he does not want to see what happened against the Cubs occur again because that underbelly was not added. Now, we talked about heading into the deadline shortening games, and that's where I said go out and add relievers. We kind of That's kind of what the approach was for the Cardinals, except it was the add opposite. starters, and it was starters rather than relievers. And I think there's four guys, there's three guys that you trust, and then you could add Helsley into that mix, I think. He's right on the verge of being in that circle of trust. So five innings. You and Ryan Helsley, man. It's a love affair that I didn't expect to see this year. 
come on, he's got to be in the circle before too long. He's probably going to get crushed tonight now I say that. But they can shorten the games by going five innings, and then they can get to that bullpen. And the great thing about the bullpen, I've said this a lot uh, heading up to this point into the season, Gallegos, Cabrera, Reyes, all guys capable of giving you multiple innings too. And with off days, you can't do it. They play six games before their next off day. You can't do that three times this week. But if you have to for one game, let's say it's tonight, maybe you need two innings out of Giovanni Gallegos because Cabrera struggles or you just like the matchups better. Gallegos is capable of doing it. And with the off days, you're able to kind of push these guys to the limit because you're guaranteed to have an off day rather than playing whatever that stretch was earlier in the year where it was like 24 and 24 yeah, 27 days. and 27, I think, is what it was. It it, it was a lot. Um, the Cardinals have a situation right now where they're going to need every piece of their team to step up a bit. The bullpen has to be better. You've got to use your best guys more often, and that's going to wear them out a little bit, but they've shown an ability to be able to bounce back from that so far this season. Like I said, ninth in ERA from the pin over the last month. The offense is the other thing that has to take a step forward. Because over the last month, even while acknowledging that they've been better, they've been seventh in batting average, 11th in on-base percentage in the National League. This is not in baseball as a whole. So out of 15 teams, seventh in batting average, 11th in on-base, ninth in slugging. They are 11th in strikeout percentage over that stretch, 13th in walk rate over that span. This is a month where you've been playing better baseball and your offense is still in the bottom half in every statistical category. That can't continue. If the Cardinals are going to be able to go on a run this year, their offense has to be a significant piece as to why. You're not going to go on a run because you added John Lester and Jay Happ and Wade LeBlanc to your rotation. What? You're not going to go on a run because the middle pieces of your bullpen significantly increase their performance. If you're going to go on a run, it's because guys like Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado and Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader. Those have to be the pieces that step up over the next six to eight weeks. If they do, you're going to have a chance. You're going to give yourself a fighting chance to whether it be the wild card or the division make the postseason. If those guys can't get it going, though, it's going to be because of them. And I think that's going to be when the in the offseason, we start looking back and doing the um the autopsy of what went wrong for the Cardinals in 2021. It's not going to be about the pitching. You can't blame the injuries because every team has dealt with those this year. It's going to be the offense and the lack of getting that middle of the order going consistently. We've seen it with Goldie. We've seen it with Arenado. They did it at different times though. Goldie's hot again. He's looking really good at the plate right now. They can get Arenado and Carlson and one other piece going at the same time. We've been asking for this for three months, but now it's got to happen. That's the way they get back on track. Yeah, they got to get the middle of order bats going. And to add on to that, they have to start hitting with runners in scoring position. It hasn't felt as big of a drop off, drop off as we had seen earlier in the year. But to me, they're still not coming up in the clutch in the scenarios that they need to. And it's going to come down to Goldie, Arenado. Tyler O'Neill, who's kind of cooled off of late. He needs to get back to where he was, where he was tearing the cover off the ball. If he can get back to that, and then you can get someone to get on base, whether that's Carlson or Tommy Edmond, who's looking better of late, that's what's going to help propel this offense and help propel the Cardinals. Because I still don't think, until you get Flaherty and Michaelis back to 100%, you're probably going to have to win a couple of games that are quote-unquote shootouts, where you have to score four or five runs. Because you're pitching... With the bullpen that we've talked about, it's just not at that level to where you can only score two runs and like the Brewers where they can hold a team down to one on certain nights. 
your pitching just isn't capable of doing that right now. So the offense has to step up, and you're going to have to get Goldie, Arnado, as you mentioned, the middle of the order going. Otherwise, like you said, the Cardinals, that's what we're going to be looking at as we head into an offseason. We're going to be playing golf in October rather than watching baseball. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Hey, guys, so are there no more waiver trades in August, or is this the team that we're going to expect the rest of the year? Waiver trades are gone. They are no longer a part of what you're going to see in baseball. You might see some teams make claims on waivers, but there's nothing going in return. So what you see right now from the Cardinals outside of the guys that could come back from the injured list, this is the roster the rest of the season. There's no more trades that can be made between now and the end of the season. And that was part of why you saw so many deals at the deadline this year. So if the Cardinals are going to go on a run, it's with the roster as is currently assembled. I do want to break a little bit of news here for the Blues. Uh, the Blues have announced that Jordan Cairo has agreed to a new two-year contract with St. Louis. He was going into a restricted free agent year, so this is a big one for him. It's two years, $2.8 million per season, $5.6 million in total. He played 55 games last year. He had 14 goals, 21 assists, 35 points on the season. This is a no-brainer. The Blues get Jordan Cairo on a cost-control deal for the next two years. This is a nice bridge deal for him. It's around the amount of money that you saw from Oscar Sundquist. He got 2.75. This is 2.8 for Jordan Cairo. This is exactly what you wanted if you're a Blues fan. The only restricted free agents that now remain for the team are uh, Zach Sanford, who yesterday filed for arbitration, and Robert Thomas. So Thomas is the last one, really, that they've got to get done prior to the arbitration stuff. There's no reason to believe that they won't get that done with him. As of today, the Blues now have about three and a half million dollars remaining in cap space. And I would expect Thompson or Thomas, excuse me, to get around what two million right around what we just saw yeah. uh, Cairo signed for. Yeah. So you're looking at basically with these next two contracts, depending on what happens with Zach Sanford, it's basically the amount of money that you have remaining under the cap. So any other move that the Blues make this offseason, they can, I think uh, I heard Jamie Rivers say this the other day, they can get up to like 10% above the cap in the offseason, but obviously they have to be cap compliant once you get closer to the regular season. Uh, any move that they're going to make moving forward is going to probably have to do with Vladimir Tarasenko. So the Blues, big news today, Jordan Cairo has officially agreed to a two-year contract, $2.8 million per season, avoiding his restricted free agent year. It's 11-13, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to talk to Bradford Doolittle of ESPN about what he made of the Cardinals' moves at the trade deadline. Does he believe they are tangibly better now than when they went into the day on Friday? Bradford Doolittle of ESPN will talk to us about that coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, I heard both the morning show and the afternoon show talk about Yadier Molina's future earlier today and yesterday. I think that the lesson from Yadi is less about him and more about the way that the organization handled Andrew Kisner. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. If you have an heir apparent well, and he ain't ready yet, you can't just hand over the keys a year early. you got to be able to figure it out beforehand. And Yachty still wants to play. And as much I know his numbers off, offensively have dropped off a little bit from the beginning of the year, that torrid freaking pace he was on. 
But I'll tell you this still, I want that guy up in a big spot. I want him up with two outs, runners on second and third, and I feel like he's going to get the job done. I believe you need him. I, I still believe that he's the kind of the heartbeat of what this ball club is doing. That was Brad Thompson on the fast lane yesterday talking about the future of Yadier Molina here in St. Louis. This has once again become a conversation after yesterday, John Mosellock was on with Carriker and Smallman, and he said this about Yvonne Herrera being the Cardinals' long-term answer at the catcher position. You know, when you look at our minor league system right now with somebody like Herrera, you know, he's probably ultimately the long-term future of this organization. But in the meantime, you still want to be giving opportunities. And, and when you're someone like Andrew Kisner, at some point, are you better off maybe being back in Memphis playing every day or are you better off riding the bench? And, I mean, you guys have heard me talk over the years about young players that come up here and just sit. It's not ideal for them. When we talk about the future of Yadier Molina, what we're really talking about is the Cardinals' handling of their young catchers. Because as much as we go back and forth on should Yachty be back, should he not, should he play 140 games, should he not, this is really about, okay, what does all of that mean for Andrew Kisner? What does that mean in the future for Yvonne Herrera? What did it mean previously for Carson Kelly? And I think the interesting conversation is there, Tanner, because whether they bring back Yadier Molina or they sign Jan Gomes or they go out and get somebody else that Travis Darno, whoever your guy is for next year, they're going to have to have some sort of a veteran catcher presence on this roster. So my guess would be they're probably going to bring back Yachty for one more year and they'll do that one more time. And then the next year in 2023, that's when you start looking at what the future holds with Herrera and another veteran potentially there for them. The question though is what do you do with a guy like Andrew Kisner? Because he is no longer a young player anymore. He's 26 years old right now. He's going into his age 27 season next year. And I think the lesson really is in the way that they've handled their young guys. Carson Kelly ended up being a package deal that got you Paul Goldschmidt. If you had the Cardinals honest answer, like if you got truth serum and you were able to talk to John Mosellock about, you know, looking back, how would you have liked to have handled Andrew Kisner? I bet you he would have said, I wish we would have traded him three years ago because you're getting zero value out of Andrew Kisner right now. Over the last three seasons in the big leagues, he's played a total of 56 games, 56 games in three years. There's no difference really in the value that you've received out of Andrew Kisner in the majors versus the, uh, the value you would have on $2 million veteran free agent X, whoever that guy is in any given season. And now the problem is he was a legit prospect three years ago when he was 24 years old, coming up from Memphis where he was having an 820 OPS as a catcher. That's a guy that every team in baseball that needs a catcher would have loved to have had a piece of. Is that same value there when he's 27 and he's coming off of three under underperforming, I guess, offensive seasons in the big leagues? I would guess the answer is no, not to the same degree. So if you had to go back and you talked to Mo about how'd you handle Kisner and how do you wish you would have handled Kisner? I think the organization now, the lesson is we've got a lot, we've got to be a lot more um, definitive on where we're at with our current roster and what that means for our minor leagues. We saw this in the outfield. They finally made some decisive decisions on who they were going to keep and who they needed to trade away. 
I think they needed to do that earlier at the catcher position as well. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think Mo would have said that too. Three years ago, we probably should have dealt Andrew Kisner because in 2018, he was a higher touted prospect in the Cardinal system than what Dylan Carlson was at the time. And then Carlson surpassed him. And then now Kisner, I don't think, can't be deemed a prospect Mm -mm. anymore. So. Yeah, and with your you saying trade him three years ago, that that's when he has his value, and you kind of knew Yachty was probably going to be here because if I'm not mistaken, that's when he signs a contract extension. Yep. Now, Grant, he did say that he thought that that would be his last contract, but you can't really base it on that because you know once he gets playing again, he's going to have that itch and the fire that Yachty has that he'd come back. So I, I think they should have moved on from three years ago. I'm with you there. And now the trade value, there's probably none there because his value, not only is he getting older, but then you see some of the major league numbers and you go, oh, well, that's not great. But that's not so much on him. It's a matter of no playing time. It's hard to stay fresh, keep up with uh, getting regular at-bats. When he had regular at-bats for the Cardinals earlier in the year, he looked okay. So I'm with you. They they have to evaluate the catcher position a little bit better in any position going forward. Uh, but with Kisner, I think, yeah, three years ago probably would have been that time that they would have moved him. And I think there's a real lesson to be learned here for the Cardinals. Like, you you got into a situation with the catchers where there was a glut. You had Carson Kelly, and you, you rightly, in my mind, got value for him. You traded him out to the Diamondbacks because you knew, okay, we've got Kisner coming behind him. We've got Yachty that's currently going to start 130 games. There's no place in our system right now for Carson Kelly. The best thing we can do is deal him somewhere else. We think he's going to be a good player, but he's going to return more value for us at the big league level, which is all that matters for this team. Let's be honest, as opposed by getting Paul Goldschmidt for him, as opposed to keeping him and starting him 20 games a year in the big leagues for us. The same thing should be true for a lot of the positions that they're looking at right now, especially pitching. You look at what they have right now down in the minors and If you're John Mosellock, what is the future for Zach Thompson? Like, let's be honest about this for a second. I know he has not had a good year for them in AAA, but what's the future look like? Because you just dealt for a couple of left-handed pitchers. If he was ready right now, they wouldn't have done that. Matthew Libertor is a lefty. What are you going to do with KK? Are you going to potentially look to the free agent market? If that guy's going to be stuck down in AAA, the value that you're going to get out of him is not with him as a player. It's him as an asset. And I know it stinks to talk about these guys this way, but it's the reality of being a general manager or a president of baseball operations. You have to make these decisions quickly and you've got to be able to do that self-scouting and you can't be paralyzed by the decisions that you've made previously on some of the other players. I mean, you look at what they did with Randy Rosarena, for example, that looked for about two months like it was a terrible decision. It doesn't look that way anymore. If you look at what the Cardinals outfield is today, you feel pretty good about where you're at. You would probably take all three of those guys over Randy Arozarena for the next five years, or at least I would. So if you're John Mosellock, trust your intuition, trust what you believe is the best thing for your team. And that means guys like Kisner, now it might be too late for him. But the next version of that, whether it be a catcher or elsewhere, this can be at any position you got to make those decisions quickly. You've got to be able to look at what your big league roster is and determine how many of these minor leaguers are actually a part of our future and how many of them are going to be a piece of what gets us part of our future. And that that's something that this team at times, they've waited, 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 waited. Now the kid's 27 years old and you get no value for him. Yeah, and, and I think they're going to get I think they're getting to the point where they've gotten better with that because you think of some of the names and the trades the Randy Rosarito trade was a good example of that. I'll throw Luke Voigt into that. You know, he's never a top prospect, but they knew, you know what? He's probably not a 
part of our future. We've got Paul Goldschmidt first. What do they do? They make that trade and they get Giovanni Gallegos in return. So they've done some of those deals. Thompson's an interesting case that you brought up because they said in, heading into the trade deadline they didn't want to part with any of their top five. But every time we talk about the rotation for the future, we don't really bring up Thompson's name. We we go to Libertor, and then we look at uh, some of the free agents that they could bring back in Wainwright and KK. And we mentioned the starting pitching market. Whether that's I don't think they view Thompson drinking. as one of their top five guys, by the way. Well, okay. Well, Internally. I'm thinking. I'm thinking what the list of top five prospects are when we start. I the think season. they would tell you it's Libertor, Gorman, Herrera, Wynn, and Walker. I'd agree with that. I'd say he's probably just on top. What'd you say? Seven, then six or seven. But with for him, for an example, is we don't bring him up in any of the discussions with the rotation next year. We look at Woodford, Oviedo, Libertor as the guys in the minors, their free agents, and what they have coming back under contract. So once again, we're in that conversation that you mentioned. What do you do with Thompson? Do you really view him as a guy that's whether that's a starter for this team in two years or a bullpen piece in two years, or should you trade him while his value is high? Because like you said, he's an asset and see what you can get in return. Thompson's the curious case, and they've had that a lot across their time here. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, they just traded two players that aren't in their future. They are starting to do that. I think they did it a little late with Lane Thomas. I agree. Um, I I think they were about a year late on him. Look at what the return was. And this is the other thing. You got to maximize the return that you're able to get for these players when you can. And if they made a decision a little earlier on Lane, and I get why they did it. They thought maybe even going into this year, he might still be a part of their starting lineup. So I, I get it. But if you do it early on, you're able to get a better return. In the end, they got a 38-year-old pitcher who has a 5 ERA, and they're able to get him for two months for, I think it's five years of club control for Lane Thomas. It's not an even return if you think that Lane Thomas is going to be somebody that helps you at the big league level. So you have to maximize whatever that is for these prospects. We also got some texts that are pushing back on what I said about the outfield. Guys, go look at what Randy Rosarain has actually done this year. Randy Rosarena is a perfectly solid player. He's a good player, in fact. He is not tearing the world on fire or lighting the world on fire the way that he did a year ago. Last year, he had an OPS over 1,000. If that's the player that he was again this year, yeah, I'm taking him over all of the Cardinals outfielders. It's not what he's been. So far this year, he has a 260 batting average and a 777 OPS. That's solid. That's a good player. He's also not very good defensively. And you look at what the Cardinals are getting from their outfielders, and they've been right around those same numbers. Would you take Dylan Carlson over Randy Rosarena? Yeah, and he's five years younger. Would you take Harrison Bader or Tyler O'Neill over him? Maybe you wouldn't. I would. I'll I take would. the gold glove defense from Harrison Bader, and then it really becomes a conversation of O'Neill versus Rosarena. At worst for the Cardinals, that's a push. I will take the tools and the defense that you're getting from Tyler O'Neill over what you're looking at right now from Randy Rosarena. And that's what I was going to say on O'Neill is you have all five tools. You've got the speed, the defense, the power. He has actually been a decent contact hitter. He's cutting down on some of the chasing. So he's got the five tools. Randy Rosarena probably projects as a designated hitter moving forward because, as you mentioned, he's not that great defensively. He does have some pop. So he is probably a designated hitter. For the Cardinals in this, we're going to build a defense around our pitching. We want to be good defensively. He wouldn't have fit that mold. Rosarena is also striking out at a really high rate. He's striking out 27, 28% of the time so far over the last two years. Wow. And he doesn't walk a ton. So you, oh, he might fit in then here. Y- you essentially have Tyler O'Neill light in what Randy Rosarena has been this year. 
Good player. You would like to have him on your, like, I would love to have Randy Rosarena as the Cardinals fourth outfielder. You'd be a perfect fourth outfielder for them right now, but they now have the top prospect in their system because they decided to move on from them. It was a bold move at the time. I disagreed with it because of where the Cardinals were. And I think if they would have got a different position. That would have been a better return, but it was a bold move. And now you look back on it and they were able to extract value from a player that right now wouldn't have a significant role on the Cardinals. So it stunk last year to watch it, especially as we were watching the Cardinals outfielder struggle. But moving forward, credit where it is due. That is a decision that the Cardinals got right, not wrong. So credit where it's due for the uh, the Cardinals and John Mosaylock. They actually got that decision right. They should have done something similar looking back on it now with Andrew Kisner. That a boy, Mo. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get into some questions and answers coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Bradford Doolittle wrote about every single trade that happened at the deadline. Does he believe that the Cardinals got better tangibly at the deadline? We'll talk to Bradford Doolittle of ESPN about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. been a very busy man over at ESPN.com where he's an MLB writer. He wrote about, I'm pretty sure every single trade that went down over the last 72 hours or so. And Bradford Doolittle joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Bradford, we appreciate the time, man. Have you been able to recover from what was a flurry of deals over the 24 hours or so prior to the deadline? Barely. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a one of the most frantic deadline periods that I've ever been a part of. And it's because it wasn't just the, the deadline day that was crazy. The three days in a row mm-hmm. were like that. And, you know, it was a pleasant surprise. It's a lot of work. But, you know, you put a lot of effort into preparing for a trade deadline. And a lot of times it turns out to be a lot more smoke than fire. And this year there was plenty of fire. I think that's what surprised me a bit is a lot of the times you'll hear things like, hey, Trey Turner might be available in trade packages. And you're like, "Okay, yeah, we'll see. I'll buy that maybe in the offseason, but probably not at the deadline. And this year it actually happened like the Nationals went through on everything that we expected that they could. The Cubs actually went through with selling off not just some of their pieces, but basically all of their pieces. And it made for a hugely entertaining uh, deadline. Bradford, who do you think, I know this is kind of the radio hack question to ask, but it is interesting to me. Who do you think, quote unquote, won the deadline in your mind? Well, I, I, you know, I actually did a winners and losers piece immediately in the aftermath. And I, I think it's hard to look at anybody other than the Dodgers. And when you, when you add uh, uh, an eighth starter, the caliber of Max Scherzer to that roster and, you know, Scherzer is just so good that, it's almost easy to overlook Trey Turner, who's one of the best players in baseball, easily one of the top 20 players in Major League Baseball. You know, it's, it's really an embarrassment of riches. And the thing with that particular uh, acquisition is not only did the Dodgers bolster their roster, and it's hard to bolster a Dodgers roster as it is, but that keeps those guys away from their competitors in a, in a really uh, high-powered NL West race. So, 
you know, I think the Dodgers probably won the deadline. What do you think that deal means for Corey Seager? Because I was talking with this uh, about this with a buddy last night, and we were wondering, do, do you re-sign him and put him at third base moving forward? Uh, do you consider using him as a, um, a, a DH every once in a while? What do you do with Corey Seager now as he's a free agent this upcoming offseason? Well, I think he hits the open market, and, you know, the Dodgers will be competitive with him but you know he's had a lot of injury problems he's had uh, a lot of problems with his elbow you know that for a while it made you wonder if he was even going to be able to stay at shortstop I mean he's a great player when he's healthy but Trey Turner is is more durable and um you know I think the Dodgers will be in on that if we do move to the universal DH you know that's going to change a lot of things because there's going to be 15 NL teams that are looking to 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 find at least um you know, a partial answer to everyday at bats at a new position. So that'll help everybody that's headed into free agency this offseason. Um, I'm not writing off Seager's future with the Dodgers, especially because they, they kind of sort of tried to move on from Justin Turner this past offseason. I think now they're glad that they didn't. But, you know, they don't, they, the Dodgers just sign stars, sign high caliber players, and then worry about the position aspect of it later on. I mean, Trey Turner is so athletic. He could, they could bump him out to center field and, and uh, shift Bellinger back to first base. So there's a lot of ways they can go. Bradford Doolittle is our guest. He's an MLB writer over at ESPN.com. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Bradford, when you look at the shortstop market, and we'll get back to the deadline here in just a second, but when you look at the shortstop market for next offseason, how do you see these guys shaking out when it comes to the money that they're going to be able to get? You mentioned Seager. He's got the injury questions. Correa has some injury questions from his history. Uh, Baez, it's the strikeout rate and the lack of walking that has some questions for a lot of guys. It's a down year this year for Trevor Story. How do you think these guys are going to shake out in terms of the money they can command? You know, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, the contract that Lindor signed with the Mets is going to be kind of the benchmark that the agents for those guys want to point at. But the fact of the matter is they all do have minor question marks. It's not that that almost every team wouldn't love to have any of those guys. But like you said with Baez, it's not just that he hasn't really ever matured as a hitter in terms of plate discipline. If anything, he's gotten worse. Um, But he's still been an outstanding player besides that and a great defender. But he's also, you know, he's one of these guys that just throws caution to the wind constantly. He's been really hard on his body over the years. Seager's had a lot of injuries. So, you know, I think um, the Mets may already be sort of wondering how they're going to come out on the Lindor contract when you look at the trajectory of his career over the last few years. And the fact that there are a number of those guys hitting the market at the same time, you know, I don't know that we're going to see another $300 million deal, but I think we'll see those guys landing somewhere in the 150 to 200 range, just because there's only so many opportunities to nab a, a star caliber middle infielder. Bradford Doolittle is our guest here on 101 ESPN. All right, getting back to the trade deadline, the Cardinals technically made a couple of moves. They brought in Jay Happ and John Lester. I'll ask the open-ended question. What was your reaction when you first saw that these deals were the ones that the Cardinals decided to make? Uh, I think my immediate reaction was too little too late. Um, you know, I, you know, me, I may have been on with you guys before the season and it, talking about, you were asking about the, and I apologize if this wasn't you, but, but asking about the Cardinals, uh, rotation depth. And, you know, I looked at it and I thought they had a solid core group and I thought the Cardinals had a chance to have a 
good rotation this year. And but part of that was predicated on the idea that if a couple of guys got hurt at the big league level, then they had, you know, a Matthew Libertor or Zach Thompson perhaps ready to make a move to the majors during the season. But those guys have really struggled in AAA. And so when you add that to the, the injuries that hit them at the big league level, they just did not have enough in camp in terms of veteran options to cover innings. And, you know, they're doing that now, but they're doing it while they're, what are the Cardinals, nine games behind. So, you know, uh, Lester and Half have had great careers, and I'm not saying they can't help the Cardinals down the stretch, but are they going to help them at the level that will, you know, impact the games in a way that the, it'll it'll spur a, a, a couple of winning streaks to make up a nine-game edge? You know, I'm just, I'm not seeing it. I think that's my question is like, why weren't deals like this available to them in mid June? You know, I, maybe they weren't, maybe they're being totally honest and they're just, there was no deal to make in mid June, but a guy like Jay Happ, I just have a hard time believing whether it's actually Jay Happ or somebody like that, that has a six plus ERA on the season. That guy had to be available at some point to be able to cover some innings for you in, in June, right? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. You know, a lot of a lot of trades come together during July because teams are just trying to figure out where they are in the pecking order of things. And, you know, there weren't many trades, period, around the major leagues before July. Um, and really only one major trade, the trade that the, the Rays and Brewers made around Willie Adamas. But what you do see constantly are useful veteran type pitchers that end up in a roster crunch. They're designated for assignment. A lot of times they, they clear waivers and then are outrated outrighted by to the minors. And you see teams like the Rays, even the Dodgers, as good as they are, always have a few roster spots at the end of the 40 man that they're constantly turning over. And the giants have done great with this as well. They're always looking at those guys that are cycling through the, the roster turnaround, the majors, bringing them in and you know if there's an adjustment that they can make and maybe maybe they get some production out of them and the colonels just did not do enough stuff like that they needed to be turning over every stone for innings once clarity got hurt and and mikolos went back on the injured list and you know that's the part where it's kind of disappointing because it really put them in a in a bad position to um, make up ground once the deadline hit. And like I said, I think it's just too little too late. So Bradford, if it is too little too late and they're not able to actually go on a bit of a playoff run, let's let's talk about the future of this team because we've been doing a lot of that of late. Where do you think the Cardinals can and should be looking to upgrade in the offseason? What are the positions that you think they should be targeting? Well, I think you, you, you've got to have more certainty in that rotation. I, I don't know that you necessarily are going to pursue a, a number one type starter. I think you're still hoping that Flaherty is going to be that guy, but you know, like three or four of mid-level type veterans just to add to that rotation. I don't know what Wainwright uh, will be doing after this year, but sorry about that. Um, you know, that's that's really the area that this year they've fallen short. It, you know, they need this that stability of innings, and that's what they haven't gotten this year. And then beyond that, you know, I think looking at Tommy Edmond as an everyday second baseman, I love Tommy Edmond, and I, I, I thought that was going to work out great. But when you look what he's done since the beginning of last season, 
you know, maybe uh, more of a bonafide everyday second baseman and, and shifting Edmund back to more of a super utility role might be a way to go, especially with a lot of middle infielders probably changing teams this year. Um, and then beyond that, they, they have got to fix their hitting. I mean, up and down the roster, you know, they have guys that have just underachieved. And, you know, they've, they've really got to look at their processes and, and make sure that um, they're headed in the right direction on that front. And last question that I've got for you, Bradford, if you look at, I, I think the two spots the Cardinals fans have talked about the most over the last week, two weeks, month, maybe are shortstop with Paul DeYoung and how he's underperformed. Like you said, the, so far this season and then catcher with Yadier Molina's future. Do, do you bring back Yadier Molina next year? Um, and would you, could, if you were in John Mosellock's shoes, would you look to potentially upgrade from what you've got this year from Paul DeYoung? Well, I mean, it, they know better with what's ailing DeYoung than I do, but the fact of the matter is, you know, you can't keep having an everyday shortstop that's hitting 201. I don't care what his secondary skills are. And, you know, he just has not reached that level where he's able to, to fix uh, his bat to ball skills. It's just too much swing and miss in his game. And, you know, he's, he's the guy that I think is amenable to trying different things. I mean, he at least seems like that, but it just hasn't worked out. And I think you do, like I said, I, I love the idea of bringing in a, a starting quality middle infielder. And if that puts DeYoung uh, in, in kind of a rotation with Edmund and, and uh, a signee, then, then that's fine. But I think they definitely need to add some competition at that area of the field. Hey, Bradford, we always appreciate the time, man. I know you've got to be still recovering from what was a crazy week for you. Thanks so much for hopping on with us, and we'll hopefully talk with you again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. That's Bradford Doolittle, MLB writer for ESPN.com. Huge thanks to him for hopping on with us today. I think it's interesting. What One thing that... Um, he, he mentioned there about midway through the interview was the way that the Cardinals didn't do enough to be able to bolster their rotation. I would argue that they actually did that. Okay. Um, with Wade LeBlanc and TJ McFarland and kind of the back end of the bullpen guys that they've been churning through over the last month or so, that is like one of the only things, if you're looking pitching wise with the moves that they made, that they did a pretty good job of trying different things. Not all of them have worked by any stretch, but they've they've tried to churn through those guys. I just I still wonder if the end result was going to be getting Jay Happ and John Lester, who I'd said yesterday, I, I'm in favor of those moves. I think that they help the Cardinals get better. But if that was the move that you were going to be able to make. I've got to wonder if there was somebody like Jay Happ that was available a month ago. And if they missed on that, that was a missed opportunity for them when maybe now you could have had a month of Oviedo getting better down in the minors or Jake Woodford getting better down in the minors. And then you add in John Lester, whoever the other guy was to that mix. And now suddenly the rotation looks a lot better. And maybe you didn't go through that dry spell in the month of June. Yeah. And maybe they are telling us the truth. And maybe it was just that they weren't available, but there were teams that were, and maybe it's not John Lesser, probably not because the nationals thought they were contending about a month ago. Jay may be the same because Minnesota thought they were, but there were teams like Baltimore who had some pieces that knew they were already out of it. I wouldn't think that they would have oversold themselves and say, Oh, we need a top five prospect for an example, a Matt Harvey, a guy that could cover innings for you. I would think that they would realize, too, that, okay, this is probably the best we're going to get is a, a quote unquote, a Lane Thomas sort of package. 
and then we can move on from him. It's not like his value is going to go up much more at the deadline. I, I find it hard to believe that they couldn't have made a move sooner. Yeah, I wonder if the Cardinals were aiming higher earlier and then they ended up being able to drop their expectations and now they're willing to just settle for something. Settle for anything that they could get because they were hoping for more out of Jake Woodford and Johan Oviedo and they thought those guys would be better than a guy like Jay Happ. I, I get it, but... I feel like we probably should have known that a month ago that this was kind of going to be the way that things went. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, would Cardinals find sign up for what the Cubs just went through? I think we a all World know the answer. I think we all know the answer to that. We'll get into it in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one. Guys, what should the main focus for the Cardinals be this offseason? Would you prefer upgrading at shortstop or adding pitching if you could only do one or the other? Oh, I'm guessing this is talking basically uh, money wise. You only have enough money to make a significant addition at one of the two. Which would you go with? I think mine would be pitching just because really. Just, yeah, just because I, I think I don't want to go through what I saw this year, where it is if there are injuries, then what happens? Well, then we're back to looking for veteran lefty or veteran stars like Jay Happ or uh, John Lester, or going back to some of the young guys in Woodford and Oviedo who still may not be ready. That's why I would rather spend money on pitching. Add to that side because you could never have enough pitching. Pitching is the currency of baseball, so I would rather see them go spend whatever the money X amount of dollars figure is to add to the pitching depth. Paul DeYoung is going to have to step it up. If you do that, will he get back to his 30 home run form? Be that ulcer that we saw in 2019? Maybe not, but then I have Edmundo Sosa that if I had to, I could rely on for a year. So I'll say pitching. So my rotation, if I don't add anybody externally would be Flaherty, Hudson, Michaelis, KK or Wayno. I think you just bring back one of those two and Reyes. And then you've got Liberator and Oviedo down in AAA waiting for you. So the upgrade, if you go externally, would probably be you don't bring back KK or Wayno, or you're kicking out one of Hudson, Michaelis, or Reyes from your rotation. I would rather upgrade from DeYoung to one of the premier shortstops than upgrade one of those spots in my rotation. I know there's some uncertainty with what you have right now. But I don't want to go too far in the other direction when the Cardinals just had a year from hell. That's what this was. This this rotation situation is the year from hell from them. And it happens sometimes. But don't swing too far in the other direction where you now ignore the fact that, by the way, your rotation has been better this year than your offense. Let me say that again. The Cardinals starting pitching this year has been better than their offense has been. So if you're going into next year and you're asking me, what would I prefer to have a significant upgrade on the starters or one of the spots that's been one of your biggest black marks in the lineup, I'm going to go with shortstop and then I could potentially be able to trade Paul DeYoung and I should be able to get at least something of significance in return and not a superstar, but I, whether it be minor leaguers that are going to help me two years from now or somebody at the big league roster that can help me right now. I feel pretty good about what I'm going to be able to get for DeYoung and I'm upgrading at that spot. So 
I would go with shortstop would be my primary focus. I just look at the rotation and I say there's four big question marks if, if based on the rotation that you gave me. So Flaherty, I don't have a question mark about him. He's healthy. He's fine. Hudson, how's he going to look coming off a year of Tommy John? Miles Michaelis, don't know about him because he's had an injury-plagued year, even 2020, so two straight years injury-plagued. Alex Reyes, can he be a starter? He's got good stuff, but he would have to cut down on walks, which would be a major thing for him. And then, of course, that fifth spot, do you go Wayno or KK? If it's Wayno, can he do it again at the age of 40? If it's KK, how's he look? He's been so inconsistent for the Cardinals. There's just a whole bunch of questions. And, yes, the offense has underperformed, but I look at – Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson. I expect those three in the outfield to do what they're doing. Carlson, I expect to be even better because he's, this is his, just his first full year. Arnado and Goldie, I expect to be better. Catching and then up the middle would be my concern. So Starting like, pitching is my biggest concern. Let's operate under the assumption, though, that they're healthy because we can't do anything otherwise. It sounds like Michaelis is going to pitch this year. Same thing for Hudson. Hudson might be able to contribute, not in the rotation, but from the bullpen this year. So the Cardinals are going to operate this offseason as if they're going to be fine. So if they are, am I signing other starters that are going to push Michaelis and Hudson and Reyes back to the bullpen? I think the answer is probably no. I, I'm i probably signing. Uh, well, OK, because the that's, Cardinal, what, that's, the what, the yes, that's what the is. Cardinals are going to say. Yes, they're going to say they're, these guys are healthy. We're going to have our rotation. Our rotation is set in stone. I just don't know if you can really go into that. I think doing that this offseason and not adding an arm, whether it's an elite arm or if it's a mid-tier starter that Bradford Doolittle just said. But you're talking about $10 million that you're spending. This is this is why I bring this up. I think because you have to add pitching. I, I get you, but let's talk about it realistically here for a second. If you're adding a $10 million arm, that guy's going to be in your rotation. So if you get to spring training and Hudson and Michaelis and Reyes are all healthy and ready to go for you, one of those guys, maybe multiple of those guys, especially if you bring back KK and or Wayno, are going to be in your bullpen. Am I really paying $18 million over the next couple of seasons for Miles Michaelis to be a reliever? No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Is Dakota Hudson, who is projecting as a potential number two starter for you both next year and moving forward, am I going to put him into my bullpen now? No, I'm not going to do that. So now we're talking about Alex Reyes again. And I want to see Alex Reyes as a starter. Now, if he fails, then yeah, they're going to have to be more aggressive in season next year than they were this year. But the answer to me is not going out there and signing a 10 plus million dollar arm in the offseason to prevent that. It's learning the lesson from this year and being more aggressive in season to be able to go find an answer. And oh, by the way, Libertor's got to be ready next year. If he's not, then you've got bigger issues. Oviedo, hopefully with a little bit more seasoning, can be more ready next year. Maybe the same thing is true for Woodford or Thompson. Like These internal options have to continue to improve. There were, there were lessons learned this year, but I don't think the lesson is go sign a guy for 10 plus million dollars. I think the lesson is be more aggressive in, in the middle of the season and Hopefully these guys are able to actually get the development they need down in AAA. I, I wonder, though, if I, the reason I would say it is because if you bring in the $10 million pitcher, you really solidify the rotation if healthy. And if Reyes, then maybe you don't bring back a Wayne or a cake. Maybe you don't. Or do you move Reyes to the pin? We've had the conversation of, is he just so good as a closer that it's hard to take him out of that role? I'm with you. I kind of want to see him start. I want to see if he can do it. And then you can learn your lesson if he fails. But 
You don't know about Jordan Hicks. Gallegos can't close. You've got Cabrera back there. But do you want to separate the big three at all? Do you want to keep it intact? I, I think that's a big question for the Cardinals and what they tr will truly have to evaluate this offseason. So your rotation and your... Like in your scenario, would be Flaherty, Hudson, Michaelis, Wayno, or KK, one of those two, and then and whoever then the, that the other, other arm. arm is. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then if I have to, right? I just think you're Reyes, wasting Alex Reyes at that point. I understand. The other thing is, though, is I don't know if Reyes is going to be ready to be built up to a 150 to 200 inning pitcher. He's going to be on pace for what about 80 innings to 90 this mm -hmm. year? The goal is 100. Maybe you can do that. I don't know if he'll be ready though. That's the thing. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to get into a Ferrario 5 that I have put together. Boy, Sorry, Alex. Stealing stuff. That's coming up in 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, would you as a Cardinals fan sign up for what the Cubs just went through and what they're about to go through next? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Prior to that, you had three years uh, of no postseason, which, guys, I want you to go back to those times, those last three years, and you know the calls that we were fielding. You know all of the the texts that we were getting. Like, it was just a very uh, dark time for any Cardinal fans out there. Do you think that you could do more of that? Do you think that Cardinal fans could deal with more of those times? I would say no. No, no. absolutely not, BT. No, <laughs> I don't think it's very likely. That was the fast lane yesterday talking about what we're getting ready to discuss. Can the Cardinals fan base as a whole, do you think they would stomach the teardown that we are watching right now with the Cubs with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Ferrario is out today. He'll be back tomorrow here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I, I like this conversation because I, I think it is one thing that we probably don't give the Cardinals enough credit for. They have been able to build a sustainable model of winning over the last two decades. Unlike really just about any other team in all of baseball, they haven't finished in last place in their, their division. And I believe it's a hundred years now. Um, they are a team that is built on sustainability. The Cubs are not the Cubs, the Astros, the Royals, some of the teams that we've seen go to the put many of the teams that we've seen go to the world series in the last decade or so have applied the same model to the way that they built. They tank for three to five years. They're one of the worst teams in baseball. They add up the number one overall picks. They end up having this group of players that all kind of hits the big leagues at a very similar timetable. They're cheap early on. They add those veteran free agents. And then later on, they end up hitting arbitration. They have to send out some of those veteran free agents. And then they go through the cycle once more. I would not sign up for this for the Cardinals for this reason. We just saw what June was like here in St. Louis, and it was miserable. It was one of the most um, ill-fated months for the Cardinals in the last five years, 10 years. Got tough to sh shine your uh, turd over there. Too, it was tough. Um, imagine that for a full season. Ugh. That's what Cubs baseball is about to be for three years, maybe at a minimum. The other thing about the way that the Cubs are building is that you don't have household names that stay with the team for a decade. Like Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, if you were in the Cubs model, they would have just been sent off at the deadline. That's what would have just happened. 
Instead, you're able to keep them here, and they are guys that you've grown up with. Many of the people that are listening to our audience right now remember the moment from when their childhood, probably the people in our uh, listening audience, in their childhood when Adam Wainwright wins the World Series for the Cardinals as a closer, when Yadier Molina comes up as a young pup under uh, Mike Matheny. You now are seeing what they look like 15-plus years later. That doesn't exist on the Cubs. If you look back to their 25-man roster from 2016 when they won the World Series, the only players that remain on the roster today are Kyle Hendricks, Jake Arietta, Wilson Contreras, and Jason Hayward. Arietta is an interesting case because he left and then finally came back. So it's really three guys that were there in 2016 that remain today. The Cardinals just don't build that way. Five years from now, you're going to have Nolan Arenado on this team. You can expect that. Adam Wainwright was able to spend his entire career here. Same thing for Yadier Molina. If you have a stud like Dylan Carlson, I fully expect him to spend his entire career in St. Louis. If they are able to get it done, I I fully expect them to do that. That's different than what you see in Kansas City or Pittsburgh or Chicago right now. These teams that go through these tanking times, they're not willing to have a little bit of sentimentality that goes into it. It's got to be cold, hard, calculated decisions. So for me, I'm not signing up for what the Cubs went through and what they're getting ready to go through. I'm with you, and and it's not as easy as the rebuild thing sounds, too, for the Cubs and those teams that do that because their mantra is, we like you said, get the picks, and you get to the top, and then you fall back down to the bottom, and it's just kind of this wave cycle. Well, sometimes that wave at the bottom stays at the bottom for a long time because if you miss out on picks or you miss out on prospects, well, then it just takes even longer to get back into it. Look at Baltimore, for example. When they had Manny Machado, they looked like a team that's going to be really good for years. They never reached that World Series. They tear that team apart, and they should be getting close to that uh, phase of the cycle where they're getting back into being competitive. They don't even look close yet. So th- that's why I would not sign up for it. And though you get the complaints of, well, this team just sits at 500. They just sneak into the playoffs. They're never going over the top. They kind of stick with the mantra of, if we can get in, we could do anything. But they're willing to make the move if they feel like they're just that one piece away. Uh, look at the Larry Walker deal, and I know it was a long time ago, 2004. They they felt like that was the move that was going to get them over the top and get to the World Series and win it all. They got to the World Series. They just ran into a red-hot Red Sox team. So I like the Cardinals mantra better. We're going to st- kind of what uh, the former GM, I think it was Ed Wade, told us. Get good, stay good. That's been the Cardinals mantra. That is much more enjoyable as a baseball fan. As you mentioned, you see guys like Carlson, Nolan Gorman. We haven't even seen him at the big league level, but I feel confident Nolan Gorman's going to be here for a while once he is. It's much enjoyable as a fan to watch it, too. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, the Blues tanked finally 10 years ago. Then they won a championship. You two sound really stupid right now. From the 847. Guys, the World Series is the goal. Cubs will win another one before the Cardinals do. Another one from the 314. What's worse, tanking for three years or hanging on to average aging players for those same three years? I think something that we have to remember, and Tanner, you just mentioned this, and it's a good point. When there are multiple teams that are tanking at the same time, the value of tanking is lessened. When you have to win fewer than 55 games, maybe you can get into that 60 range to be able to get a top three pick. It becomes really hard to achieve that. Do you know how bad this team would have to be? How many players they would have to send off to actually get the tangible benefits from tanking? You would have to be worse this year than the Arizona Diamondbacks. And that looks hard to do. They have won 33 games. 
Their winning That's percentage bad. right now is 310. That's bad baseball. Really bad. It is miserable to watch. It ruins your clubhouse. The culture that is instilled when you have a team that has been outscored through the first 107 games of the season by 170 runs is awful. And it continues to build on itself because the Diamondbacks aren't going to get good quick. It's going to be another three to five years. So for three years, you're going to have some guys in that clubhouse that have gone through 330 losses. That's brutal, man. Tough to turn that around. And some of the star players that you potentially develop won out. And so now you got to start all over once again, and it's got to be the exact right timeline. You got to make sure all of those young guys come up at the same time. You got to be willing to spend money at the right time. You got to get very lucky with health because that's the other thing that went wrong for the Cubs over the last couple of years. Just haven't been healthy at the right times. Their guys went through slumps at the wrong times and you've got to get lucky in the draft. You've got to be in the draft where the number one overall pick is a no brainer. And that doesn't happen all that often. The nationals, they got lucky. They ended up getting Strasburg and Bryce Harper. Those were the number one picks that they got. Meanwhile, you look at some of these other teams and you get the number one overall pick, and it's like, that guy never sees the majors. Look at the Astros. Now, they nailed it when they drafted Carlos Correa and they had Springer in those drafts, but they had a number one overall pick. I believe his name was, was it Brady Aiken, left-handed mm-hmm. pitcher. Number one overall. They couldn't even sign him. He never he never even made it to the big league level. He made it in double A, and I think that's the highest he ever got. So. That's an example, too, of a high draft pick that it may be number one, and he was a clear number one favorite to be the number one pick, but he didn't pan out. The other thing that we've got to keep in mind, the Cardinals are not, I want to be very careful in the way that I say this, because there's a specific type of player that the Cardinals are not a free agent destination for. We learned that with the Giancarlo uh, Stanton sweepstakes. Some players don't want to come play here because it's not a big market. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a certain type of player, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, that love a place like St. Louis where they can come, where they know year in and year out, where they might not be every year a World Series contender, but every year they're going to be a playoff contender at a minimum. You lose that if you don't end up going for it, if you do go this tanking route. The thing that makes the Cardinals different than other franchises right now, what differentiates them from the Nationals or the Detroit Tigers or the Baltimore Orioles, Minnesota Twins, these other teams that are in mid, mid-major mid markets, similar to the Cardinals. The Cardinals are always in the top three of their division. These other teams, you just don't know what you're going to get. So Nolan Arenado is looking around trying to find where he wants to play next, and he knows if I come to St. Louis, I'm going to be playing in front of 30-plus thousand fans every single night. I'm going to win 90 games or so every single season, and I'm not going to have to deal with tanking the way that I did in Colorado. You lose the ability to sell that to free agents or to potential trade acquisitions if you don't go this route any longer. And that's something that I think is valuable for this franchise. Though The fact that they were able to be a place for Wayno and Yachty that they could spend their entire careers, there's value in that to guys like Nolan Arenado. And I don't know who the next Nolan is. But there's going to be another one out there, just as there was with Scott Rowland and Jim Edmonds and Larry Walker. All, all these guys that you're able to bring in, Big Mac, they end up being the former player that ends up becoming Nolan Arenado or ends up becoming Paul Goldschmidt or whoever the next guy is that wants out. Maybe it's Trevor Story. There's a specific style of player that you're able to acquire right now that I don't think you would have that same opportunity to get if you ended up going the tanking route.
Yeah, hundred percent with you because it, it it makes you look good and it shows that you're willing to have a face of a franchise for years to come and kind of develop and look at the Cardinals from their like I'll just use the pitching as an example. We've looked at we've seen it get passed down from Chris Carpenter to Adam Wainwright now to Jack Flaherty. Flaherty's going to groom that next guy. So you have these guys that have been in the organization a long time and they continue to help you develop this talent. Tell them the right way to go about their business and that's important for a franchise and I know it's a different sport but let's not forget how we talked about in the Vegas Golden Knights situation when they trade Marc-Andre Fleury the mm-hmm. face of that franchise the expansion draft that makes Vegas look bad and the Cardinals never do that and some of these teams that stay good for a long time don't do that they're willing to have a face of a franchise and not move on from like Cleveland when they said you know what we can't pay Francisco Lindor let's just ship him out of town he's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN there's a lesson to be learned from last offseason for the Cardinals and I was super wrong about a specific player we'll talk about that plus a Ferrario five on the five Cardinals who Ferrario's need to step coming in no, it's a BK5 oh. with five Cardinals who need to step up down the stretch for this team to go on a run. We'll tell you who it is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Indianapolis Colts were a lot of people's sleeper teams going in, sleeper team rather, going into the 2021 season. I think we can go ahead and put that to rest. The Colts are done. The season has not begun. They are, I think they're one day into padded practices at this point. It's over. It's done. It's time to flip the calendar to 2022 for the Indianapolis Colts. We'll talk about that coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, Tanner, am I open? You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario Five, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. I mean, not exactly Ferrario, but it's close enough. Eh. All right, so for my Ferrario Five, BK's Five, the BKO Five, however you want to look at this, we're doing a BKO. Oh my gosh. BKO five. It's the Cardinals that need to step up for the remainder of this season. We're going from number five to number one. Number five. I've got Paul DeYoung. Pretty simple here. Paul DeYoung is going into what very well may be the single most important two month stretch of his entire career. And I don't want to be putting too much on the man, but no, that wasn't a lot. If if he does not perform up to his previous standards from the start of 2019 or before, I think there's a good chance that the Cardinals are going to have to look at upgrading from Paul DeYoung at shortstop in the offseason. If he performs at a high level and is a big reason why they make the playoffs and then maybe go on a little bit of a run in the postseason, that's going to be much more difficult for the Cardinals to be able to look at his salary for the next two years and say, okay, yeah, let's go spend 20 plus million dollars more to upgrade at the position. He's got a big two month stretch ahead of him. And for me, he's number five on my list. And I could absolutely listen to anybody that says that he should be higher than number five. Yeah, he's going to be very important for the stretch, and this is an important stretch for him, as you said. To me, I almost feel like the Cardinals kind of have their answer on what they're going to do with Paul DeYoung because it's been more than a year and a half of Paul DeYoung not being at that 2019 All-Star level. I guess it's been two years, technically. So 
I think the Cardinals have an idea of what Paul DeYoung is. It's just a matter of will they be willing to go spend the money in the offseason to go get another shortstop. Number four on my list of the most important players for the Cardinals to go on a run down the stretch is Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond in his last 11 games is suddenly looking like the player that we saw the first month of the season. His last 11 games, he's batting 315 with an OPS over 900. In those 11 games, he has six doubles. The doubles are what has changed for him. He's getting back to that line drive swing. I find it fascinating that he is now not going with a righty lefty split. He's going based on the specific matchups. If there is a righty on the mound that he thinks he's going to have more success against as a right-handed hitter, he's staying on the right-hand side. We've talked so much about his splits this year and how he's probably a righty moving forward is that's where he's going to have the majority of his success. If this ends up working out for him, it could completely alter the trajectory of who he is as a hitter. Tommy Edmond, for me, deserves to be number four because we've talked so much about shortstop as an upgrade spot. We talked to Bradford Doolittle earlier today, and he said what we've been mentioning. Maybe Tommy Edmond is a utility player. Can he decide based on or he, can he make the decision for the Cardinals based on his performance down the stretch that he can be an everyday second baseman? And he is a perfect leadoff spot. Maybe not so much because he doesn't walk a lot. But if he's making contact, hitting doubles, perfect six or seven hitter for the Cardinals, gets on a run, kind of doesn't flip the lineup completely because he's in the seven spot, but it's kind of that quote-unquote secondary leadoff guy because then you have DeYoung behind him and see if you can get something going from there. Five most important Cardinals for the stretch run here in 2021. Number five was Paul DeYoung. Number four, Tommy Edmond. Number three, sticking with the hitting theme because this is going to be an important part of how they're going to be able to get back on track. Rumor has it, you score runs, you win games. It helps. It certainly helps you in that regard. Tyler O'Neill. Over the last month, Tyler O'Neill is batting 217 with an OPS of 595. He has 26 strikeouts and five walks in that stretch. He's, bat- he's striking out one out of every two and a half at bats. It's been bad. This is what the downside of Tyler O'Neill looks like. We saw what it looked like at the best, though, this year, too. At his best, he is somebody that can carry the offense for a two to three week stretch at times. He's got to get back to that. He has. Two extra base hits in his last 20 games. Two. You've got to get more out of him when it comes to extra bases. He's got to get on base at a higher clip, whether that comes from walks, hit by pitches, whatever it takes for him to be able to get on base. He's got to get there so that way he can have his speed impact the game again. Still been good defensively. You need more from him offensively, especially if he's going to be batting cleanup for you regularly. Yeah, exactly. He's going to have to get going behind Arnado Goldie with those two in front of him. He's got to be that guy that drives them in. And also, if he's he can't go on one of those. He's in the slump now, but it can't extend much further because if he continues to be cold, your lineup is about three hitters deep. I think you're going to be surprised by my next one. Really? We're going to the pitcher side of things. Okay. Oh, please don't tell me it's John Lester. John Lester is the second most important Cardinal for the Cardinals to go on a run down the stretch. Listen, man, when these guys come back healthy, I think John Lester's staying in the rotation. Not LeBlanc? I think John Lester is going to be the one that stays in the rotation. I don't think it's going to be Jay Happ. I think it's going to be Wade LeBlanc that gets uh, replaced. And I think it's going to be Jay Happ. I think John Lester stays in, and I think he's going to be a guy that is super important for them down the stretch. I know he has a 5.0 ERA on the season. Not great. I also know that he's going to be in a little better spot pitching in Bush Stadium as opposed to pitching 
uh, for the Nationals. He's got a better defense here. We've seen this before with Lloyd LeBlanc, who's just through strikes. If you're able to keep it in the zone, you pitch to contact. I think he's going to have a little bit of a career renaissance for a month or two here with the Cardinals. John Lester, your second most important Cardinal down the stretch. Wow, I was really not expecting that. Well, I hope you're right, uh, because if he struggles, then I got nothing. Well, think about it this way. The reason why I say Lester is because I think we know what to expect out of Wayno. I feel pretty confident. I kind of know what to expect out of KK. Now, it can be erratic up and down, but I kind of know what I'm getting out of him. I don't know. I don't know what to expect out of Michaelis or Flaherty. But let's assume they're healthy. They're good to go. Okay, cool. The guy that could be the pivot point in your rotation moving forward is John Lester. He's done it before. He's been at the highest possible level, won multiple World Series. I I think getting him in the room with Adam Wainwright and the conversations they're going to be able to have with one another is just it's that the highest level of baseball that you could possibly expect. It's like the conversation we were talking about earlier this year with Yachty and Arenado and Matt Carpenter. Those hitting conversations are high level. I think that's what you're going to see out of Lester and Wayno as well. I think he's going to be better for the Cardinals than people are expecting. I hope so, because I'm not expecting a lot. I'm kind of expecting the same from John Lester. See, that's why I thought you were going to say Jack Flaherty as number two. I could get that. Because him coming back from injury, if he doesn't get back to his self, we already see what the Cardinals look like without Jack Flaherty. If he doesn't get back to 100%, the Cardinals have no shot of being a playoff team, in my opinion. All right, my number one is a cop-out answer. It's Arenado, isn't it? It's Goldie and Arenado. Oh, yeah, that really is a (laughs) cop-out answer. So the reason why I did it this way, like, the answer is Arenado, because he's the one that's been struggling. We just haven't seen these guys hit at the same time at any point this year. In April and March, you saw Nolan Arenado performing pretty well. He he was hitting for power at that point in time. He had a 450, 460 slugging percentage. That was when Paul Goldschmidt was really struggling. Then you got into May, and Arenado went on a tear. He had a 950 OPS that month. Goldie was just kind of okay. And then since then, you've seen Goldie take off. In July, he had a 960 OPS, but Arenado was just kind of okay. You need to see these guys perform at a high level together. Can there be one month where both of them are at that 950 OPS or above? If you can get that, that unlocks the middle of your order suddenly. Because now you've got Carlson getting on base. You've got Arenado and Goldie performing at a high level in the middle of your order. You've got uh, Yadier Molina sending those guys in because as much as I've had my criticisms of Yachty at the plate. He is still a professional hitter that with two strikes, I feel good about him driving runs in Goldie and Arenado are the single biggest key to this team being able to go on a run down the stretch. Yeah, I'm with you. We got to see what those two can do when they get hot at the same time. We've heard Mike Schilt talk about it too. in some of his post game press conferences, he said something along the lines of, man, when they get hot together, it's going to be special. And we haven't seen this. We've had this big buildup for this special moment and it hasn't occurred if it doesn't occur, then it becomes really tough because then you have to rely on other guys. To, what was the talk heading into the uh, last season? It was, well, Tyler O'Neill probably doesn't fit as a cleanup hitter. So-and-so doesn't fit in this role. Well, if Goldie or Arnado, both of them can't get hot at the same time, we're back to that conversation of Tyler O'Neill has to be that guy that drives in runs rather than possibly being just that power bat. Guys start to kind of shift out of their roles a little bit, not by moving in the order, but by their mindset of what they have to do. That's why Goldie and Arnado have to get hot. I also think that's so important for 
with Tyler O'Neill. If he's continuing to back clean up for this team and those guys are on base consistently for him, now you've got to throw strikes. You've got to throw strikes to O'Neill because you can't put him on. Now you're loading the bases potentially for Yadi or Molina. That doesn't seem like a winning strategy for opposing hitters or, or opposing teams rather. So I feel good about that. It is Paul DeYoung at number five, Tommy Edmond number four, Tyler O'Neill number three, John Lester, the surprise candidate on this list, and really Nolan Arenado. Uh, getting back on track as the number one most important Cardinal to step up down the stretch for this team to go on a run. I am stunned Harrison Bader did not make the list. He's on, we already know he's going to bat 300. He's going to end up with an OPS above a thousand for the month. So it's totally fine. It's going to be great. 2020 year. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. One quick lesson that we learned from last night that really uh, applies to next off season for us. Remember David Dahl? Yeah, Dahl. Guy we're going to bring in, he's going to solve the outfield problem. Maybe be a great fourth outfielder. Is he doing well? Uh, former Rockies outfielder. Played. Okay. Past and? tense. For the Rangers this oh, season. Is he an angel now? DFA'd yesterday. Oh. Uh, he was rough. the bell of the ball all offseason. He, he hit 210 this year with an OPS below 600 for the Rangers. Lesson for next offseason, and please keep me honest on this, Tanner. Okay. If there's somebody that had a stress fracture, a fractured foot, a high ankle sprain, a back injury, and a shoulder issue, and that led to their issues the previous year, let's not count on them having a comeback season the next year. Because that was what David Dahl was going through prior to this year with the Rangers. And it ended up being a terrible, terrible signing for the Rangers. Tuesday, August 3rd at 1234, BK says not to sign anybody that's been hurt in the past. Yeah. All right, we're, never, we're not going to make any signings then. Okay, cool. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, the Colts offseason, their season rather, is over. There's no need for them to go for it this season. Let's go ahead and change the calendar to 2022 for them. We'll tell you why next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I would think that Nick Foles would be an option that they'd have to explore with his familiarity with the offense. You look in Chicago, the Bears have Andy Dalton, they have Justin Fields. And I think anybody who's got any sort of quarterback issues this summer, whether it's Indianapolis now or another team later, the first name you're going to think of is Nick Foles because the Bears have him on their roster. They don't need him on their roster. And it's a question of whether somebody could work something out financially with the Bears and Nick Foles to make it worthwhile to get a deal like that done. That was Adam Schefter on ESPN yesterday talking about the possibility of the Colts trading for Nick Foles. It makes some sense on the surface because Nick Foles had a lot of success with Frank Reich in Philadelphia. You may remember them from their playoff run that ended with a miraculous Super Bowl victory. The problem is Carson Wentz is in Indianapolis And the last time that Carson Wentz had Nick Foles to fight against, it didn't go so well for Carson Wentz in terms of the way that he dealt with things mentally. So Carson Wentz right now is expected to be out for the next five to 12 weeks after he suffered a foot injury. It was since announced that their star left guard, Quentin Nelson, is also going to miss the next five to 12 weeks after suffering the exact same foot injury that Carson Wentz currently has. Get a foot doctor to Indy. This is also on top of Eric Fisher, their supposed starting left tackle, 
uh, missing the next few weeks at a minimum. He's still recovering from a torn Achilles. Ryan Kelly, their starting center, is also out right now with an elbow injury. He's expected to miss this next few weeks at a minimum. You're looking right now at three starting offensive linemen potentially missing the start of the season. We'll see on that, but it's possible. We got a text on this, Tanner. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, I don't understand why you think that the Colts season is already over. Both uh, Quentin Nelson and Carson Wentz could realistically be back around week four. You want to go through a quick experiment on the schedule with me? Yeah, it can't be that tough, right? So they open up with the Seahawks. You think that's a win or a loss without Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson in the lineup? With Carson Wentz and Nelson in the lineup, that's a loss. What about against the Rams? Oh, that's a loss for sure. Are you kidding? At the Titans without those guys. That's a loss. At the Dolphins. How do you feel about that one? Yeah, they might be able to win that one. I think that's Honestly, they might be able to beat the Titans, too. Their defense ain't that great. Without Carson Wentz and without their best offensive linemen? Potentially without three offensive linemen? Come on, give them a little bit of a boost here. Yeah, no, they're not winning either of those two games. They're starting the year 0-4. And then week five, they go at Baltimore. How do you feel about that (laughs) one for Indy? Uh, Not great. 0-5, you're done. It's over. Your season is complete before you ever even really get started. And that's when it's possible in a maybe best case scenario for both of these guys to be able to return to the lineup for the Colts. The Colts are done. And what that means for me is that they should not trade for Nick Foles. You invested in Carson Wentz this offseason. You determined that he is our answer at the quarterback position. You very well may be wrong about that, but you have to continue to go down this path. And if you make the same mistake that Philly made that you should be able to learn from, that's on you, man. I know Jacob Eason should not be the future for you at quarterback. He's their starter right now. That's that's rough. It's not going to go well for Indianapolis with him as your starting quarterback. But you don't have another good option. There isn't one. Right now, you've just got to be able to eat it, unfortunately, for the first four to six weeks of the season. And then when Carson Wentz gets back, you try to recover. Use this year as a developmental year for your team. And then in 2022, you go for again. It stinks to have your season over before it ever begins. But that's where you're at right now if you're the Indianapolis Colts. Their season, and this happens to a team every year in training camp, their season has ended because of the injuries that they've suffered in, in training camp. Yeah, it does feel like it's over and I'm with you. Don't make the move to Nick Foles. Kind of take this as a development year. And if you get a high draft pick, maybe if it's, I don't want to say, let's say it's top five, for example. If if it's going to be quarterbacks are going there, you can always trade that pick, get down in the draft and gain some assets doing that. So it, it, it does feel like the season's over for the Colts. I won't say it's 100% over yet just because who knows what's going to happen. Maybe they can you somehow – Maybe you, they can you know somehow beat the Titans. With the Colts. They're going to go 7-10 and 10 this year. They're going to start out like 1-4 and four or 0-5. Oh They're going to make a nice little run down the stretch where you feel a little better about them. And then next year going into the season, we're all going to pick the Colts as a sleeper team because of the way that they finished the year. We know how this goes. Yeah, that's probably how it's going to go. Yeah. We've seen this story a million different times. If you can float around 500, though, while Wentz and Nelson are out, then I still feel like you have a shot, though, because I think in the AFC South, I don't think Houston's going to be competing. They look like they're going to be terrible. Jacksonville is going to be better, but they're not going to be competing. And then who's the one I'm forgetting? Indianapolis. The Titans. The Titans. Oh, yeah. And the Titans are better than them. They're better. Yeah. Like, I I thought the Colts could be better. If things broke the right way, if you got some injury luck, if Carson Wentz bounced back. Might be able to compete with Tennessee. You absolutely could have won that division. The Colts 100% could have. 
but things didn't break your way. And so now you're looking at this. And the other thing that I would say, if you're a Colts fan right now listening to this, I would hope that Carson Wentz takes the correct amount of time to be able to rehab this injury because foot injuries can be devastating to careers, especially for skill players. So if I'm a Colts fan, I kind of want them to put him on the uh, physically unable to perform list, which means he's not even eligible to return until week six because that will force him to take the required amount of time to get himself right. Otherwise, I would fear, and we've seen this from Carson Wentz before, he tries to come back too early, he re-injures something, or he overcompensates somewhere, or he's uh, not getting rid of the ball quickly enough, he's trying to do things he previously was able to do, he plants on the foot wrong. Like, There's just so many things that can go wrong for Wentz when he needs just have a year, or I guess maybe 10 weeks, of being able to perform at a high level, get your confidence back mentally, and then hopefully you're able to perform better physically next year in 2022 when they're building the team around you. And they've got a team that's going to be around for a while now around him. Yeah, and you don't want to come back. You don't want him coming back early, like you said, because he can always get re-injured if it's not healed properly. But also, you mentioned the injuries. They're on the offensive line. He said the center's dealing mm-hmm. with an injury. So you don't want him coming that's back. That's not what I want for Carson no, Wentz. No, exactly. You don't want him coming back and getting that Philadelphia experience, which he just went through, where he got the crap pounded out of him in the backfield. You don't want that to happen again either. So I'm with you. Probably put him on that list so he's got to miss at least the first six weeks. So the question that I would then have is a little bit of a follow-up here. Who are the teams that potentially benefit from this? Because I, whether it be you, me, or the NFL media as a whole, I think a lot of people were expecting the Colts to be in that playoff contention. Whether they were going to win the AFC South or a wild card berth this year, I think they were in that conversation. Who are the teams now, because the Colts are probably out of that conversation, in my opinion, that could maybe get into the playoff conversation as a whole? Because I I think we've all got the Chiefs, now the Titans, the Bills, and probably the Browns as like secured, locked in for playoff teams. I'll put Baltimore in, not as a secure top four, but secure in a playoff spot in my think? I think so. I, I think they're guaranteed into the playoffs via the wild card or winning the division. I would say the teams that are going to benefit from this the most are the Patriots. I think I agree with you on Baltimore. And I think the Chargers. I think the Chargers might be able to get in now because the Colts take a little bit of a backseat. That team has all of the makings. They've got a new head coach that I believe in. They've got a quarterback that looks like the guy that, for me, if I was betting on one player to take that leap of going from Everybody agreeing, yeah, it looks like he's got a bright future to holy bleep. That guy has arrived. He's a top five quarterback right now. I think Justin Herbert is most likely of any player to be that guy. I think the Chargers might be more than anybody else in the in the AFC benefiting from the Colts taking a little bit of a step back. Yeah, I agree with both the Chargers and the Patriots. I'll add two more to that. I think, and I get it, there's only going to be three wild cards, but I, I think Pittsburgh, this helps Pittsburgh a lot because to me, they're a team that's going to sit right on the verge of being a playoff team. But if you had Indianapolis in there, they probably miss. Now, I, I think they have a chance to legitimately get that last wild card spot. And I'll throw Miami into that too. I don't oh, have as sure. much I don't have as much faith in New England. I think Miami's better than New England just because I don't have much faith at the quarterback situation for New England. I really don't with Miami either. But they I have think Tua is going to be better than people expect this year. Some of the reports coming out of camp are that he's been letting it loose a little bit, and last year they didn't allow him to do that. Everybody looks good in camp. Uh, 
I think Indianapolis looks pretty bad right now. Okay, well, that's injuries. <laughs> I was saying, like, when they're on the field practicing, it's hard to look bad. That's fair. I, I the, the thing that always cracks me up about uh, training camp is you'll get all these reports of quarterbacks that are throwing a bunch of interceptions in camp. I remember when Patrick Mahomes was a, I think it was a second-year player, first year as a starter, um, there were a lot of reports about him throwing interceptions, and then you get into the regular season, it's like, yeah, he was just testing what he can get away with. This is the time to do that stuff. And then once you get into the regular season, you start kind of honing it in a little bit, and now you're not going to do those things that clearly didn't work whenever you were there. I remember Jared Goff doing that. Oh, wait, yeah. He was, works he, was still good. he was still good at throwing picks. <laughs> Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk to our guy Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider, about the news of the day that Jordan Cairo has signed a two-year deal with the Blues. JR is going to join us in about 15 minutes or so, but we're going to dive into the junk drawer coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's time to dive into the junk drawer. Coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, we will be joined by the one and only Jeremy Rutherford, Blues insider for The Athletic. Want to ask him about the news of the day for the Blues. Of course, they have re-signed Jordan Kyrou to a two-year bridge deal. Two years worth about $5.6 million. So Jordan Kyrou locked in for at least the next two seasons. Time to dive into the junk drawer right now, though. And we got to talk about some football, guys. Some classic football guys, because in Detroit, in New York today, man, this has been everything I expected the Joe Judge and Dan Campbell experience to be. It has been exactly that. So Dan Campbell is the Lions new head football coach. And today at his introductory press conference with the media before today's uh, practice, he described his order at Starbucks for every single morning. Go ahead and give this a listen. Well, to normally what I do is I get, I'll get two venti. I go, you know, Starbucks. I get two venti of the pipe with two shots in them, so black eye in both. That's what I come in with. That's how I start the day. So, well, to- this dude is getting multiple what? venti coffees to start his day. The venti is a twenty-four ounce coffee with multiple espresso shots thrown in there. Dan Campbell's a crazy person. So that's the starting point. Dan Campbell then then went on to say of what he wants to see in today's first day with uh, padded practices. Quote, I want to see these guys compete. I want to see these guys get to the point where it's almost an all out brawl out there. Well, Dan, I think you would have very much enjoyed what happened today at Giants camp. Because at Giants camp earlier today, there was a full team brawl with quarterback Daniel Jones somehow ending up at the bottom of the pile. Apparently, according to reports, Joe Judge, their head football coach, was livid. He had the players line up similar to the scene that you saw in Miracle, where they were lining up and running full-on sprints, 100 yards back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The report is that, quote, there there was dead silence except for Joe Judge's whistle and his expletives. So many curse words. Again, this comes from Ralph uh, Vicario Vacchiano of um, of New York says Giants players are now running goal line to goal line again and again and again. The only thing that you're hearing is Joe Judge 
doing his best Herb Brooks imitation, saying, again. That doesn't sound like fun. These football guys are all in. And I got to be honest with you. I think I'm in on the Joe Judge and Dan Campbell experiences. I don't know if it's going to work out in terms of winning football games, but I'm all in on both of these guys as entertaining football coaches. I enjoy Joe Judge. Dan Campbell, I don't even know what to think of him. Really? Yeah. See, I, I think Dan Campbell's more entertaining. He's the one who said, bite the leg off, right? That's correct. That's the yeah. same guy. I can't. I don't know. When he says stuff like that, I just can't help but like laugh at him. Like, how did you come up with that kind of quote? Even him like explaining a Starbucks order today. <laughs> I, I don't know. Joe Judge doesn't do stuff like that. I feel like both of like those that. are connected. <laughs> eh, eh. I don't know about that. I feel like if you're the guy that says you're going to bite somebody's kneecaps off, you are also probably the guy that is most likely to end up with multiple um, venti coffees that you're drinking on any given day. That has to be terrible for your health. Oh, I can't <laughs> even imagine. But yet he's like decently built. Decently. He's a he's a former NFL blocking tight end. He's a stud. I, I just put in our daily show audio folder for today, Tanner, the quote for anybody that missed it from oh, Dan Campbell about the biting of the kneecaps. I feel like we couldn't play this enough. Let's go ahead and give this a listen. This is back when he was introduced as the new Detroit Lions head coach. Here's Dan Campbell. We're going to kick you in the teeth. All right, and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right? And we're going to stand up. And then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down, all right? And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap, and we're going to get up. And then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you. But before long, we're going to be the last one standing. I just can't take him seriously when he says that quote. I feel like they've been knocked down a lot. (laughs) He says like four separate times they were knocked down. We get knocked down. We bite the kneecap. We get knocked down. We take another chunk out. We get knocked down. Man, you ain't standing very often to be the last one that's standing up there. I feel like the guy that's above you that you're taking a hunk out of his knee got a decent amount out of you, too. I think he won. It sounds like he won. If he knocked you down that often, (laughs) I felt like he won. I feel like eventually you just want to be able to stand strong. Like you sounds like a losing culture in Detroit. (laughs) I love this guy so much. Again, I have no idea if he's going to be able to win or not. I would, I would bet on the under on whatever the over under is for games one by Dan Campbell with the lions. A lot of that has to do with their roster. A lot of it has to do with his coaching philosophy. Seemingly. I think Joe Judge might work out in New York. They I think played he hard will. for him down the stretch yeah. last year. And I, I like the fact he, he is a little bit of a... Um, he's got a little oomph to him. Little, I guess we'll say that way. Uh, but I, I think that I, players are going to take that. I can't even imagine what the conversation was like in the locker room. Did you just hear a coach said no? What coach said? Is that something about getting like knocked down like four times and coming up and biting guys' knees off? That's what coach said? Yeah, I feel like they've heard far stranger things in their locker room. Oh, I'm sure they have in their locker room, but I'm not sure they've ever heard it get publicly said to the media before. Uh, maybe not, but I think if he's saying that to the media, I can't imagine what Dan Campbell is saying in his meetings with his team. I would imagine they've heard some wild, wild stuff in those Is he meetings. the one that, or maybe this was the Eagles coach, did rock, paper, scissors at the draft combine? Yeah, that, that was the Eagles new coach. I'm not in on him at all. Nick what? Sirianni. You don't like playing rock, paper, scissors? He he was... I, I think he's in a little over his head. I think Campbell's a little over his head. Uh, I think Campbell... 
is just football guy to the max. Like, it, I don't know if that's going to work. Maybe not. No, it, it could be a total disaster. He, I mean, what he said today with him ordering multiple venti coffees, that, that fits. He is, I, I feel like he's everything you expect him to be. I almost want to try one of those coffees, by the way, just to see how my body would react to it. It wouldn't go well, Tanner. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of Bet It or Forget It. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Bet It or Forget It. Coming up next, we'll talk to our guy Jeremy Rutherford about what he has learned over the last few days in his conversations about Brandon Sod and what he thinks about the new contracts that you've seen from uh, Jordan Cairo. Two years, $5.6 million for Cairo. What does that mean for the Blues' ability to add more? more to this roster. We'll ask JR next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Ferrario's out today, expected to be back tomorrow. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Late right now to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic. JR, we always appreciate the time, my man. How you doing today? Doing well, BK. Doing well. Are you holding the fort down today? Yeah, doing the best that we can. You know, it's all we can ask for. Uh, JR, the news today from the Blues is that Jordan Cairo signed a two-year, $2.8 million per season deal is that about what you expected from him in this restricted free agency? Yeah, maybe uh, even a touch more, but I still think it's a good contract for both sides. You know, this is a guy who just turned 23 in May, and so you're going to get him the next two years, uh, 24 and, and 25, and he'll still be restricted at the end of this deal. And, you know, you always label these bridge contracts kind of prove-it deals, and I think that's probably the definition of the situation he's in. He had the 35 points last year kind of a breakout year for him and now he's going to have to prove that he's that type of player so a pretty good deal all in all as of today do you expect him to be in the top six for the blues next year i I think uh i think he's got a really good shot at that look they put him uh, on that third line ahead of sammy blay at the start of uh, camp last year and he just relished it Uh, i think he had what six goals in the first eight or ten games really played well and so i think uh when you give him something uh, he's able to respond, and I think the Blues will take that into consideration. You know, however, you look at that right side where Kairou's probably best suited, the right wing over the left wing, and you have uh, Buchnevich now, and you have uh, David Perron still in there. So whether it's top nine or t- top six to start the season, I think at some point we'll see Jordan Kairou get some time in that top six for sure. You mentioned Buchnevich, and he's he's a guy that I've been very interested in seeing how they end up utilizing him because in New York, he played a lot on the right-hand side. He is a lefty, though, so you would think he could play left wing for the Blues. From what you've heard, JR, where do you expect them to try Buchnevich first? Do you think they're going to try him on that left side with O'Reilly and Perron, or do you think he starts out camp on the right wing? Well, this is without talking to uh, Craig Brubery and the staff uh, as of yet. Uh, I expect them to be on the right side. You know, I've traded a ton of messages with uh, the New York Rangers writer for the Athletic, Rick Carpinella, and he said that he really never played the left. And uh, we talked to uh, Buchnevich on the Zoom last week, and, and he said maybe the odd shift here or there, uh, if things weren't working for the Rangers, they'd mix up the lines and he'd get on the left side. But he said he is definitely most comfortable on the right side. So I think they'll find a spot on the right side for him. And, you know, to me, if you're looking for a guy to play 
with uh, O'Reilly and Perron, you could pencil Brandon Saad in there to start the season. So they're going to have some different possibilities with the additions they've made, BK. But right now, I see Buchnevich on the right side for sure. Would that push Braden Shin over to the wing in your mind? It could. I think that's all going to depend on what they see in, in Robert Thomas early on. And he's another guy who's a restricted free agent like Cairo, still looking for a contract. He's unsigned right now. But obviously, you got to believe that they'll have him signed and in camp to start the season. It's going to be super important for Thomas, who was banged up a little bit last year. And maybe that prevented him from taking that next step. But even when he was healthy, uh, just seemed to, to struggle. So do they put him in the middle uh, in that top six, or is he centering that third line? I think that's going to be the difference. But to me, if, if they were starting training camp uh, tomorrow, I would think that Braden Shen would be in the middle, and you'd probably see uh, Robert Thomas on that third line. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. You could read his work over at The Athletic. You should follow him on Twitter as well. He's at J.P. Rutherford. Uh, JR, when you look at Buchnevich and Brandon Saad, now that we've had a little bit of time for the dust to settle, what are some of the things that you've heard? You mentioned you've talked to some people around the league. Maybe it's not in the blue side of things, but around the league. What have you heard about those two guys, and how do you feel about the fits now compared to the day that they were brought into St. Louis? Yeah, and I'm working on a piece that should be up at The Athletic either later today or tomorrow, uh, making some phone calls on both of those players. I, you know, I think we're familiar with uh, Buchnevich and Saad, probably Saad a little more familiar because of his time with the Blackhawks from last year, Colorado. Uh, but just making some calls. David Quinn was his coach the past three seasons in New York uh, with Buchnevich, and he had some really good things to say. He said that they, they butted heads early on three years ago when Quinn took over with the Rangers, and he felt like Buchnevich kind of just didn't see the big picture, what type of player he could be, the work that he needed to put in, to become a reliable guy who the coach could give minutes to. But he said over time, he understood that and he opened his eyes and, and he became a very coachable player. And, and so what I gather from talking to David Quinn uh, here recently is that this is a guy who knows what it takes to score. The Blues have been looking for a guy to go to the net. He said, Buchnevich can do that. And he said that his overall game defensively has become a lot better the past couple of years. He's a lot more aware and what did we talk about last year, BK? The Blues lacked emotion. This is a player that plays with a ton of emotion. So I think fans are going to like that. And in talking to uh, Eddie Olchek about Brandon Saad, he's a guy who's covered him a lot as a color analyst for the Blackhawks and also nationally. Here's a guy who's going to help the Blues team speed. I think that's been an area of concern the past couple of years. And Saad is a guy that pushes the puck. The other thing about him, Olchek told me, is he can play whatever role you need him. You want him to play up there with O'Reilly and Perron, he can handle that. You knock him down the lineup, he can play wherever you need him. That's interesting, JR. Um, it, it sounds like that's two culture guys because when I, when I looked at the team last year, I felt at times like they had too many square pegs and round holes. Like you, you look at Mike Hoffman and he helped them on the power play in particular, but he never really seems to fit with what they were trying to do offensively at five on five. You looked at, at times what Vladimir Tarasenko was, and it just didn't fit for whatever reason this time around. Do you feel like they are now starting to find pieces that fit into the system that Craig Berube wants to uh, play with? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good point. And, and look, at the beginning of the offseason, you're talking about names like Landis Gug and and Matthew Kachuk, and those guys would have been tremendous here. And perhaps maybe one day we'll see Matthew Kachuk here. But I think with 
what Doug Armstrong was trying to do with this team, knowing who would be back, who wouldn't. Obviously, Tarasenko likely on his way out. Uh, you had two holes. I think you had two holes in your top six on the wing, and I think Doug Armstrong went out and found two very capable players who, like you just said a second ago, can fit that need, play the way the Blues want to play. That's hardworking every night. That's 200 feet every night. You know, I just touched on Buchnevich and, and Saad. Both are re- reliable players uh, defensively, and they, they work hard. So I think uh, where Doug Armstrong uh, really succeeded here is pouncing on a trade where New York had to give up a guy because of the cap. You bring in Buchnevich, and then going out and finding Saad and for agency, there was a lot of competition. I think you got to like the AAV at $4.5 million, and these guys are going to come in, and I think they're going to be Craig Bruby-type players. So as we look forward here, as we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford on 101 ESPN, the Blues have re-signed Ivan Barbashev. They brought back Jordan Cairo. Both of those were restricted free agent deals. Now you've got Zach Sanford and Robert Thomas as the two RFAs that are still out there. We saw yesterday Sanford officially filed for arbitration. Robert Thomas is the next one up. Do you expect the Blues to be able to get those done without really any sort of questions? I would think so. You know, you never know. The Sanford thing could go to arbitration, and he's been in the league for a little bit, and I get the feeling, the sentiment here in St. Louis about him, but with his uh, credentials, uh, being in the league, winning a cup, so on and so forth. Maybe he makes a few extra bucks than the Blues were anticipating if it does go to arbitration. But BK, right now the Blues have about $4.2 million. I know that's different than what Cap Friendly says uh, because you take off that eighth defenseman, uh, take that off the payroll. So you have about $4.2 million. And you got to believe Robert Thomas, is he in that one point five to $1.8 range? Is, is Zach Sanford in that $1.8 range? You know, I, I think those guys are probably going to come together and cost you about $3 million, you know, with your $4.2 million left. And then it all comes down to the Tarasenko trade. If and when that happens, how much of that salary do you retain? How much gives you some more cap flexibility? So, you know, the interview I did with Tom Stillman a couple months ago, he said that the Blues would be near the cap. And I think with who they have left, and they still have that big trade to make, uh, there's going to be some room, a couple million Uh, when the dust settles left there for the Blues in terms of cap space. And that's what I wanted to ask you next. Do you think that the Blues have to trade Vladimir Tarasenko before they're able to make another big move? Or maybe not big move, but another move of a million plus dollars? I I don't think they absolutely have to. I think they would like to. But, you know, I don't know that I'm all, all that convinced that they're going to make another move like they're doing with Robert Thomas, like they're doing with Jordan Cairo. I know Doug Armstrong has mentioned Clem Costin as a guy they'd like to give opportunity to. Look, they're going to give a chance to Nico Mikula. They're going to give a chance to, to Jake Wallman. So I think you'd like to see a veteran presence added to that defense. But, you know, who's out there? Is it, uh, you know, the free agent market doesn't have much left and, and uh, potentially it's a trade that Doug Armstrong would have to make. But I don't see a situation where Doug Armstrong is is telling himself right now, I've got to trade Vladimir Tarasenko this week because we need that cap space to bring in that defenseman. So right now I think he likes the roster uh, the way it is. And right now they're just concentrated on uh, signing these restricted free agents and then seeing where that takes them. Do you have any update of any kind on Vladdy? Like, I know there was a report a few days ago that it seemed like Lou Lamarillo and the Islanders still feel like a possible landing spot. The Devils, I know, have been brought up as a possible landing spot as well. Is there anything new from you, from your reporting on that front? 
nothing new, and it's not for lack of effort. You know, this is something where you definitely check in uh, each day with uh, as many sources as you can. And I, I keep saying this, you know, I stress it. Uh, something could happen tonight. Something could happen next week. You just don't know. Like Doug Armstrong has said a number of times, all it takes is one phone call. But I, I kind of just keep hearing the same things that, that you're hearing in terms of the teams, the Devils, the Islanders. I know there's still some concern about the shoulder. There's concern about, you know, Doug Armstrong, how much salary will he be uh, willing to retain? You know, everyone I've talked to has said that uh, he's not willing to retain that much. So will things change now that the Blues kind of have their roster set and they're moving forward? And as you get closer to uh, training camp, you have to ask yourself that question. Do you want Vladimir Tarasenko and that cloud kind of hanging over your, your roster? You probably don't. So I think that could change things. But as we sit here now making phone calls today and everything, I don't have any new news to report. Final question that I've got for our Blues insider for The Athletic and 101 ESPN. He's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, JR, there were some, I guess, rumors over the last few days that Zidane Chara maybe would be an option for the Blues to help on that left side of the defense, be a good pairing for Colton Pareko. Have you heard anything on that? And if so, how do you think that would look if he ended up signing a one-year deal with the Blues? Well, that'd be the one wild card. And I didn't bring that up a, a moment ago just because you just never know of a situation like that. Over the years, there have been a number of players who are kind of in the twilight. And, you know, could they have one last kick at the can with the Blues? You know, sometimes it works out. Sometimes uh, it doesn't. You know, perhaps uh, Doug Armstrong and Zdeno Chara's camp have said, hey, let's let's get to a situation where we know what our cap space is and, you know, we'll make an offer and see if you're interested at that time. You know, I believe there's there's been some communication and maybe one year at Chara just as a, a stopgap to keep the Blues competitive, you know, while these younger guys, uh, Mikula and others, get some experience would be a good uh, plan for Doug Armstrong. But I, I think what we'll see here is uh, the, the weeks play out the Tarasenko situation possibly come to an end. Uh, Doug have a real clear picture of what he's got cap wise and see if Chara wants to come back. And if he wants to come back in St. Louis. So I do think the possibility exists. I'm just not willing to put a ton of stock into it until uh, we can get to that point and see what the interest level is. JR, we appreciate the time. I mean, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We'll be paying attention uh, over on the athletic for whenever that piece drops on uh, Brandon sod and, um, uh, Buchnevich as well. Appreciate you hopping on with us today. Thanks so much, man. Yep, and we'll see you in studio tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. I will not be here tomorrow, but Alex Ferrario will. And so I'm sure he's looking forward uh, to hosting with JR. They'll be in together tomorrow from 11 to 2. A quick thing to kind of react to here was at the front end of that conversation. He said he, he thinks that Buchnevich will play on the right side. I think that's one of the most intriguing storylines going into camp is how the Blues can figure that last spot in the top six. Because we know O'Reilly, Perron, Buchnevich, Shin, and Saad. Those five will be in the top six forward group. Who's the sixth guy? It could be Robert Thomas. And in that scenario, you'd see Saad up with that top line. You move Shin over to the left wing and you get Thomas up as a second line center. Could it be Jordan Cairo flipping over to the left side? Is Zach Sanford going to get another opportunity in the top six? Does Clem Costin play himself into that setting? Does Ivan Barbashev, instead of centering one of the bottom two lines, does he then become a consideration in the top six? Because we saw some opportunities for him up there last year. 
Do you, I, I don't know what they decide to do. Oscar Sunquist, we saw him up in the top six at times last year. They've got some big decisions to make there. I think best case scenario, Buchnevich goes into camp. He's on that left side with the top line and Brandon Saad plays left wing on the second line. You have uh, Jordan Cairo as your right, right winger with Braden Shin playing his natural center position on the second line. I think that's best case scenario. If Shin has to kick out to the wing, that's where I think things get really interesting because he has not been as good over there. He's a stud, an absolute stud at center. At left wing, he's been solid, but you'd expect a little bit more out of a guy that you're paying that kind of money to. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how that Buchnevich situation plays out. JR saying he thinks he's going to start out on the right wing is interesting to me. Yeah, I'm with you. It is interesting, and that top six does become a very big question with the Shin thing. To me, you have to play at center. Just because you've seen the difference. I, I don't understand the need to go to it if we know he struggles on the wing. I mean, you don't want to continue to run something out there if it hasn't been successful. That's why I, I think the Blues will ultimately go with Shen at center. I expect them to put Kairou on that second line, kind of what, you're, what you said the top six would be, where you have Buchnevich on the left, on the first line with O'Reilly and Perron, and then go with Saad, uh, Shen, and Kairou. That's kind of what I think the Blues are going to do. That makes the most sense, but it's all dependent on Buchnevich being able to play the left. And I just don't know. We, we don't know, because we haven't seen it in the NHL. JR mentioned it there. On, when he was in New York, he was... The vast majority of his time was spent on the right side, and we don't think of that as being a huge deal, but... David Perron has said in the past, he doesn't like playing on the left side. That's why they kicked over other guys last year. Mike Hoffman said repeatedly last year, he's much better on the right side. He wants to play with his offhand. So as as much as we don't maybe look at it as a huge deal, that could be something that is worth monitoring. It's one of the biggest storylines in camp, honestly, uh, going into the fall. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 122. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, we're going to play a game of Bet It or Forget It here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Is the air comfort service text line for bet it or I was forget it? Sing, but I, you know, it's just not the same. No. It's not the same with that, Alex. Here, no, no. you're not there. No. Uh, let's start with this one: bet it or there. forget it. Trey Lance will start the majority of the games for the 49ers this year. Some of the reports coming out of camp are Let that he, guess, looks he looks good. Awesome. Wow. Awesome. I heard that about someone else today too. <laughs> yeah, pretty much everybody, except but for an indie. Better to forget it. Trey Lance starts the majority of the games for the 49ers this year. I'm going to forget it. I think this is going to go exactly like what happened with your Chiefs, where instead of Alex Smith starting 15 games, then you start Mahomes the last game of the season. If you've clinched a playoff berth, it's going to be, we're going to see Jimmy Garoppolo start about 15, 16 games. If they clinch, then they turn to Trey Lance for one game. And then next off seasons, when they move on from Jimmy G and hand over the reins to Trey Lance, if he looks as good as, He's looking awesome in, in training camp. So I'm going to say forget it. I think Jimmy Grapple will get the most starts. I don't think Jimmy Grapple is a bad quarterback. He's fine. He's fine. Um, if you take a team to the Super Bowl, you're probably pretty okay. Oh, wait, except for that one guy. Patrick um, Mahomes? No, no. Uh, your guy. Tom Brady. Not my guy anymore. Jared Goff. <laughs> I'm glad he's gone. I think we... Sometimes I look at what Jimmy Garoppolo's actually done is in his career, and I'm like, did we overestimate what this guy can be? He started two games in 2016, five games in 2217, three games in 2018, and six games last year. Impressive. He has started. 
He started 32 games over the last five seasons, and 16 of them came in 2019 when, when the 49ers, of course, made the Super Bowl. The betting favorite is that Jimmy Garoppolo will miss the majority of next year's games because he's hurt, because he's always hurt. That was the biggest reason why the 49ers had to go get a new quarterback isn't because Jimmy Garoppolo's bad. You're right, Tanner. He's perfectly fine. 2019, 27 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. You can win with that guy. But he's never healthy. So my bet would be Trey Lance starts the majority of the games for the 49ers, both because I think he's a little better, more talented than Jimmy, and also because Jimmy's always hurt. So either he beats him out or... Jimmy gets hurt and Trey Lance starts. I think he's going to start the majority of their games. I can see that. I think it's more likely, though, that he would get more starts because Garoppolo's hurt. I'm not sure that he's going to beat him out. I think they'll play the contract, quote-unquote. Maybe. I think the 49ers are going to be really good this year. If you were to say, like, non-Green Bay Packers edition, non-Bucks uh, Green Bay Packers, who's going to make it to the Super Bowl next year, I think I would pick the 49ers out of every other team in the NFC. Got a good uh, front front seven uh, mm-hmm. you offensively you still got pieces in George Kittle you've got some good wideouts uh, I I mean I would I could see One that of the easily three best coaches in the league in my opinion I think Kyle Shanahan's awesome yeah I mean I could see that I could easily see them coming out of the NFC West and making a bunch of noise so I'm with you there yeah they're, they're gonna be good that sucks to say six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it guys bet it or forget it the Cardinals will be the next NL Central team to win a World Series Ooh, I like this one. Uh, let's see. Cubs just tore down. Yeah, the Pirates are not in the conversation. Wow, that's just cruel. They'll They're not a real in... baseball team. We've talked about this. I'm go- that's. <laughs> I'm going to forget it. I think Milwaukee's probably the favorite to do that. I just think with the big three that they have in their starting rotation, and then you add Hayter and Williams in the back end of that pin, and the lineup's been iffy, but I do like the acquisition of Escobar. I think he drove in four last night, and Willie Adamas is playing well. I don't know if he'll do that moving forward. Yelich, I think, will be better. Wong's been good for them. I think it's going to be Milwaukee, and I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. I don't think it's going to be they this year. They could do it this year. They could. I don't know if it's going to be this year. I think they're another piece away offensively still. I actually think this is their best chance. And hear me out here. When you ride this wave that they are right now with their rotation, it feels a lot like 2015 Mets to me. If you miss this opportunity, you may never get another chance to be this good again with all three of your starters having this much health. The other thing is you've got the back end of your bullpen healthy. Like Their formula is very simple. They have three stud starters and a couple back end of the uh, bullpen relievers that are amazing. Like Some of the best in all of baseball. And then you've got an offense that's good enough. That works. You can do that for a year, but we've seen here in St. Louis what happens when those guys get hurt. Suddenly, everything else goes south quickly. So I think the Brewers, if they're going to do it, it kind of needs to be this year, unless they end up making surprising moves and add significant pieces to that offense. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. I'm going to bet it that the Cardinals are the next NL Central team to win a World Series because this is a bet against the Brewers doing it this season. I think the Dodgers are just going to be so hard to beat in a seven-game series, man. That team is loaded. When you've got Scherzer, Bueller, and Shaw going in a seven-game series. And he could go to Urias, too, if you needed to. I mean, it's absurd, the pitching. And that's not even to mention the offense because some of their guys are slumping a little bit this year. Gavin Lux has not been the same guy. Bellinger has not been the same player. You haven't seen the same Mookie Betts offensively this year. 
but their pitching is just so far and away better than just about everybody else. And I know the Brewers are good, but the Dodgers, you combine that lineup with their pitching, man, I, I don't know how anybody in the NL beats them. Can I tell you who I almost went with in this? I almost did go with Pittsburgh. And the reason I say that is because what you just said, the Dodgers are going to be good for years to come. It's an arms race out west. Do you west. know how far we are away from the Pirates being a legit Do you know World how far away contender? we are from the Dodgers from standing atop of this National League? It's about the same, I think. Cardinals could get there next year. Oh, here we go again. You add Trevor Story. That's not going to happen. It could. You add Trevor Story. You add a bench bat to this team. Get Gorman up. Midway through the year, maybe you get Libertor. Alex Reyes is a starter. He's looking good for you. You've got Dakota Hudson back healthy. There is a formula for this team to get to the World Series next year. I like the way you think, except part of your formula formula includes story, and that's just a story. That's not going to happen. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, John Lester will make the second most starts for the Cardinals the remainder of the season. Oh. I'm going to... So we're we're assuming Wayno's one. You've still got another two weeks before Michaelis and Flaherty, so count those guys I'm, out. I'm gonna You're going to have two it. guys that are replaced from that. I'm going to forget it because I think KK you would turn to. If, if it was one of those where it's it lines up to what the Cardinals did where they skipped that fifth spot, I think you would skip it, and it would be skipping Lester when everyone's healthy so you could pitch Flaherty, Michaelis more, and and Wainwright KK. I think KK will have the second most starts. Who do they push off of their uh, normal rest this time around? That fifth spot. Which was? Wasn't LeBlanc. It was KK. They pushed KK back. Oh, they put, okay, they pushed KK off because they said he was dealing with, uh, what was it, fatigue. Oh, in- interesting. It's fatigue. Yeah. Not an injury, fatigue. I'm Different. betting it. John Lester will make the second most starts of any Cardinals starter the remainder of this season. It's amazing how quickly you and some of the text line have fallen in love with John Lester. I'm not saying I'm in love with him, but if you're telling me KK has a little bit of fatigue right now, two other starters that are going to be in my rotation the rest of the season are not in there right now and have two weeks before they return. So Lester's going to get three starts before that. And... The only other guy that I've got in my rotation is Wayno, who's going to be at number one on this list. Yeah, it, it's a process of elimination. And I feel pretty strongly that Lester is going to be the one that will be remain in that rotation after the new guys get back. I think he's going to be the guy that finishes with the second most starts for the Cardinals the rest of the season. As crazy as that feels right now, I, I think that's the case. I mean, I could easily see it, but wow, never would have predicted that heading into the year. Yeah, well, no, let I, alone a rotation that was the oldest in baseball. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Better to forget it. Nolan Gorman starts at least 60 games for the Cardinals in 2022. At least 60 starts for Gorman next year. He's playing well in AAA right now, too. He's starting to finally get back on track. He struggled at first, but he's yeah. getting, getting there. 60 games. It didn't say position, right? Mm, just, just 60 games? Start, 60 starts. I'll bet that because you can bring him up and either play him at second base and as much as we all hate to hear it, the DH will be here next year. We all? Y'all? I certainly am not excited oh. about the DH. Or I am excited. By the way, he's batting 300. Gorman is in his last 18 games down in uh, AAA. He's been tearing it up. I, I'll, I'll bet that because I think he could get 60 games and he'd probably be a mix of between second base, a little bit of third base to give Arnado a breather, and then at the DH spot, bring him up around June maybe, June, July, somewhere in that range probably. I'll bet that. 
I'll bet it as well. I think he ends up getting a decent number of starts at second, get some starts at DH for you next year. I'm with you, Tanner. I, I think that I will bet it you end up getting at least 60 starts out of Nolan Gorman. I think he starts the year in AAA, but he ends up coming up for you. He may get called up sooner than I said, just so you can see what he looks like. And then if he struggles, he can go down to Memphis and work on that. I can see him getting called up in like May. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Get a cut about a month or so in AAA. Of course, we got to do the certain thing to where we manipulate the time service. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's making sure that he's having success down at AAA. So he's got the right mental space. Yeah, that's that's all it is. That's all these teams are doing. Sorry, I forgot about that. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. But coming up next, the Cardinals can't afford to go cheap like Tanner suggested at shortstop next year. And something that oh. I read from Derek Gould yesterday makes me a little concerned that I'm going to be on the wrong end of this. We'll talk about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. This Friday, starting at 4 o'clock, 4 in the afternoon at the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series, high-speed sprint cars, and the greatest show on dirt. The Outlaws take on the Federated Auto Parts Raceway in the most challenging race on the tour, the Iron Man 55. Get in on the action this Friday with Alex Ferrario at the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series. All the details can be found at 101ESPN.com. So we mentioned before the break and Tanner said, hey, I don't think that the Cardinals are going to be willing to spend 20 plus million dollars on a shortstop this offseason. I think that would be a mistake if Paul DeYoung continues playing the way that he has thus far. Uh, I could change. Maybe Paul DeYoung gets back on track and you feel good about him going into next season. But I read this quote from Derek Gould and it made me a little concerned that Tanner might be right in this regard. This comes from his uh, chat over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. He said lots of shortstops will be available. And the Cardinals would be remiss not to at least explore that market. It is hard to imagine that they would add another $100 million infielder, though, when they have a contract in place for Paul DeYoung. Here's my frustration with this. The Cardinals do sometimes, and to be fair to them, it's not just the Cardinals, teams in general and professional sports everywhere, play the contracts. I think this was the biggest fear with Matt Carpenter coming into the year was that he would end up being played because of his deal that's already in place. The Cardinals can't view their shortstop position as being established just because they already gave Paul DeYoung a contract. DeYoung's deal is sunk cost, just like Andrew Miller's deal right now is a sunk cost, and you have to view it that way. DeYoung might have have value still to somebody, even if it is not you. So going into this offseason... Is it worth $20 million more for you to upgrade from Paul DeYoung? Maybe the Cardinals answer to that is no. But the question would then be, what goes what goes further for you? Is it spending $20 million on a guy like um, Max Scherzer or Zach Grinke or whoever your favorite free agent pitcher is next offseason to upgrade from guys like Reyes, Michaelis, Hudson, and then either KK or Wayno. Is it more? Is it better for you to spend the twenty million dollars there on that pitcher, or are you getting a more sizable upgrade 
by moving on from DeYoung as your starting shortstop, maybe you use him at DH as a utility infielder or you trade him and you end up getting Trevor Story or Corey Seager or Carlos Correa who are in their prime and they can now be a foundational piece to what you're building along with Bader and Carlson and O'Neal and Arenado. For me, I would lean shortstop there. I know you have a lack of depth in your rotation right now, and everybody's got this bad taste in their mouth, and I totally get it after what's been a brutal season injury-wise for the Cardinals pitchers. But if you go into next year with Flaherty, Hudson, Michaelis, either KK or Wayno, and Reyes as your starting five, and then you've got Libertor and Oviedo waiting in the wings down in the minors, and you learn a lesson from this year, that if something goes awry and your depth is not as strong as you expected it to be coming into the year, you're willing to go out there and make a trade or go into the free agent market, whatever it takes to be able to sustain. I think it is worth it to plunge into the deep end of this market into the shortstop market. And I think that it is possible because of who you have right now in the outfield. You have cost control with Carlson O'Neill and Bader, and that allows you to spend more on your infield You know what it's going to take to be able to re-sign some of these guys in your rotation. The Cardinals are losing about $60 million off of their books going into next year. You add in the money that it's going to take to have raises for Flaherty and Bader and the money that is now finally coming onto your books with Arenado. It's about $30 million to work with to be right back at the same payroll that you were this year. You can't go cheap at one of the most important positions in the sport. Just because you have a contract there now doesn't mean it has to be there next year. Yeah, and Jim Bowden said it perfectly, too, when we had him on last week. Go spend money on stars, and that shortstop market is full of stars. So I agree. If you're the Cardinals, you need to go explore that shortstop market. I just don't know if they're going to be willing to do it because I think they are going to stick with Paul DeYoung and play that contract as you're talking about. I'm with you. It's more worth it for the Cardinals to go out and do the $20 million, let's say, for Trevor Story as an example and then somehow figure out whether it be to work Paul DeYoung in somehow, whether that's DH or as a uh, utility guy that plays up the middle, comes off the bench, or move on from him. To me, you have to go explore that shortstop market. The thing that I think will benefit the Cardinals is that some of these guys are dealing with injuries in their past that are going to kind of bring down their value. That's why I think the Cardinals really need to kind of hop in on this market because if all these guys were coming into this market where saying they're all healthy, I'd say there's no shot the Cardinals go play with the big boys. They're not getting into this bidding war, but Correa has had the back issues in the past. Corey Seager has not been healthy all year. So the value of them may come down, and the longer they sit on the market, the quicker teams are going to start to fill up that position because somebody's going to be left at the altar. One of these big shortstop guys And they're going to be saying, okay, now where do I go? Do I take less to go play for a good team like St. Louis? Or do I go get my money and go play for a team that's still kind of building back up to being a contender? I think that there are lessons to be learned from this year. And maybe we all have different lessons that we will learn. And that could include the Cardinals front office as well. But one of the lessons for me is that Andrew Kisner is not a part of your future. Not a significant piece in, in terms of him being able to help you. Because Yachty is the now and Yvonne Herrera is the future. So Kisner would be a guy that I would look to deal in this offseason. I would look to deal a guy like Paul DeYoung. I would look to potentially deal Zach Thompson because anytime we talk about what the future of the rotation is, he's not really a part of that conversation. What do you think you could get for DeYoung, Kisner, and Thompson? I would imagine it's a pretty decent package that you'd get in return for something like that. Maybe that's where you get, whether it's a stud reliever 
or a solid starting pitcher that you could insert into the mix. Or maybe it is uh, a minor league prospect that's a stud that could come up later on and help you. Those are the guys that I would be looking to deal from your depth right now. This offseason, though, if you look at the needs for the Cardinals, you probably want to add depth to the bullpen. You'd like to get a fourth outfielder that's reliable, that preferably hits from the left-handed side. I'd like to add either a starting uh, second baseman or a DH, and then a shortstop. It's really four things that are on your shopping list going into next offseason, and some of those are not all that expensive. That fourth outfielder you could get for a couple million bucks. If you're looking to add some depth into the bullpen, look at what the Giants just did last offseason. They completely overhauled that bullpen without spending a ton of money. You can do that in the offseason or by utilizing some of those young arms that are down in the minors right now. The expensive pieces that you're going to have to add are probably shortstop and then whatever you decide to do at DH slash second base. If you think Gorman can come up and be your starting second baseman next year and you kick Edmund to be that utility infielder, okay. Now you just need to add that DH. Maybe that's about eight, 10 million bucks. That's kind of what those guys typically end up getting. I said they got $30 million to spend this offseason. If you're spending about eight or 10 on that DH, about 20 on that shortstop, and you're sending out some money from Paul DeYoung, that's how you get to where you need to be money wise while still upgrading this roster. And kind of going off of what you're saying, there's maybe sending out DeYoung, 20 to shortstop, eight to 10 to the DH, and then some of those moves to the bullpen in that too. You may even be spending less or spend yeah, spending less than the sixty that you're saying. You could be spending around the forty million dollar range mm-hmm. in which you still have you're paying twenty million less than what you were this year. I mean, I'm no business guy here, but if I'm ownership and have to spend twenty million dollars less, but I get a better team. I would sign up for that plan. Yeah, it tends to work out pretty well, right? Yeah. You're getting better results for less money. Yeah, if I'm an owner, I, I'm typically into that. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ram Isaac Bruce is finally set finally after years of waiting for his introduction as a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame 2020 class with the enshrinement of this class set to take place on Saturday Carriker and Smallman are headed to Canton for a special broadcast live Friday morning it is an expanded show from 7 to 11 a.m. you can tune in right here on 101 ESPN to hear Randy and Michelle speak to the man himself Isaac Bruce as he gets set for enshrinement Character and Smallman Live for Canton this Friday is brought to you by Schnooks and by Twin Peaks. Crossing things over now with Anthony Stalter. If you missed anything from today's show, you can check it out all on the podcast page presented by I Promise at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Stalter, what's going on, man? How you doing today? Everything's good in my world. What about you boys? We're hanging in, man. Getting ready to go on vacation, so I'm in a good spot. So, question to you about the Colts. They're done. Your boy, uh, Carson Wentz, not yeah. looking great. No. Uh, Ryan Kelly's hurt right now. Um, they have a left tackle that's 33 years old coming back from a torn Achilles. We'll see if he's available to play this year. From and Kansas City Chiefs? Nope. From? Oh, the Chips. There you go. Um, and their left guard, who's an all-pro, probably their best player on the roster, Quentin Nelson, just had the exact same injury that we found out that Carson Wentz has yesterday. 
Is it over? Depending on when he comes back. I mean, if he comes back in October, which I think that's 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 kind of like the best case scenario, then maybe if, you know, he recovers at that point and the O-line isn't isn't still decimated, then no, I don't think it's necessarily over. They they play in a very winnable division. Uh, I think the Titans have more questions than than I think what what is being at least discussed. I mean, losing Arthur Smith is huge. That, that's the architect of of the Titans' offense the last two years. Now I know Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry, right? Like he's gonna he's gonna play well in any system. But is Ryan Tannehill the guy that he was over the last two years? I think Julio Arthur Jones Smith? helps that. He does. I mean, but he already got hurt. I guess in in practice. Oh, yeah, I missed that. He dove for a ball, and he's not practicing today. I guess. I mean, he's he's somebody. The big concern there is he may miss six games, seven games for you. But regardless, Houston is an absolute dumpster fire. They're going to be picking number one overall next year. You got two games against them. You got two games against a Jaguars team that's rebuilding. You know they're going to be better than Houston, but by how much? I don't know if I don't know if Indianapolis is is done from the standpoint of they they can't still win the division, but the questions then go to Tennessee and how good they're going to be. Can I give you the uh, Colts' first five games of the season? Sure. Which is if it, if it's like a nine week injury, this is what he would be missing for both uh, Carson Wentz and for Quentin Nelson. If it's nine weeks, forget it. Seattle, loss. The Rams, loss. At Tennessee, loss. At Miami, at Miami, loss. At Baltimore. Loss. That's the first five games of the year. Oh, they're done. Wave the white flag. Two weeks out. You do have Houston in week six. You could probably win that game, even with your backup quarterback. They've got a real shot to be able to win that game. And then you go at San Francisco. You're very likely starting the year one and six. And if you start one and six in today's NFL, I know that their division is no good. I'm totally with you on that. The Jaguars are not going to be very good this year. They're at least a year away. And the Texans are going to be the worst team in football. It's so incredibly difficult to come back from being buried like that early yeah. in the season. Winning 10 games out of your next, what is it, 13? I mean, that's that's tough for anybody, much less the Indianapolis Colts with Carson Wentz finally getting his first work with his team in week seven or eight. They get a win. They get upset. They have to pull up, pull off two upsets in that first month, month to stay in it. And good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, if who the quarterback is, if the defense, if the defense is good, you know, maybe I like the defense. I think the defense is is underrated, but they still they still kind of lack that. They're not very dimensional, right? They're they're not they're not they can only yeah they're fine, right? They 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 kind of do what they do defensively, but they they don't they never have that counter punch, you know? They they kind of just play the standard. Their ends get get right up fields, and then you know they play the run fairly well. But other than that, they just they they don't have those those playmakers defensively where they can really turn a game on its head. And we've seen that get exposed in the playoffs the last yeah. few years. Uh, Stoltz, what's coming up today on the fast lane, man? Well, we're gonna have a, a couple of conversations uh, regarding the Cardinals. Obviously, we'll take a look at John Lester's debut. Jordan Cairo, we'll talk to him at two fifteen nice. following the the contract deal. We'll have a reaction, obviously, to that that contract. But yeah, Jordan Cairo. We'll talk to him. We'll do the. We'll kind of have the this, the discussion about, you know, what's what really is the game plan now for the Cardinals? Not not short term. I think we know what the game plan is short term, but long term because a lot of people were talking about the Cubs last week. At least they have a direction. At least they have a game plan. They traded off all these guys, but at least the the, the game plan is there. 
Okay, well, what's the plan now for the Cardinals long term? So we'll have that discussion, too. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. I am out until a week from today, so I will see you guys next week. Alex Ferrario's in with you guys tomorrow. We'll talk to you then here on 101 ESPN. Ooh. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. The Wendy's $3 breakfast deal is here. Get a bacon or sausage egg and Swiss croissant plus a small seasoned potatoes. That's a better breakfast for just three bucks in three easy steps. One, wake up. (sighs) Two, get out of bed. And three, head to Wendy's for your $3 breakfast deal. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's $3 breakfast deal. Limited time only. Participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Select or request $3 breakfast deal in order to obtain discount. Not valid for all card or combos orders. Price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii.